is if you're watching this movie and then all of a sudden i don't know a skeleton drops drops from a tree and starts dancing around and grabs a <laughs> basketball and slam dunks it in, in, into a freaking a hockey mask or so i don't know I... <laughs> i'm overwhelmed I, I mean overjoyed sorry overwhelmed <laughs> <laughs> freudian slip I don't have time to be anything but the best at this, Dave Z, but no, I'm, I'm messing around. So. Hello and welcome to the Watsy Party Horror Show, where we're fighting the good fight for the whore nation. Wow. <laughs> I forgot that. Best party in town. Wow. It's been so long. I didn't know what to do. You want to do it again? No, as soon as you started talking, I was like, oh, wait a minute. No, this works for the show. Who cares? It's fun. You're like, what kind of, wait, what, what, uh, to what level is this party in this town good? I'm going to go with best. Uh, <laughs> folks, we're a three-act podcast released every month, and in each episode, you can expect to hear a comprehensive list of upcoming genre releases, followed by a horror topic of discussion, and finally, an in-depth breakdown of a horror film of our choosing. Folks, we're here in episode number 15. And this one is going to be a doozy for certain. I'm your host, Mr. Watson, podcasting from just outside of Olympia, Washington. And my co-host here at the party at this wonderful summertime soiree is... Dave Z, Buffalo, New York. And yes, it is summer in every sense of the word. So, yippee. Yeah, it is no snow there, buddy? No, no. Things are great, actually. Too hot <laughs> this past week, but I will take it. That's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah. You you told me once you enjoyed the hot weather, whereas I, 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 I am a, that's why I love the great Northwest, because, you know, it does get hot here, hotter than I'd like, but man, when it's gray and rainy, I'm in my element. So, buddy, it is good to be back at the party. We, June was, uh, we had our happy hour show, and that was crazy, and just with everything we've been doing with the summer series and our just respective podcasting with yours, my guest spots, and your you know, every just your your insane schedule, buddy, with exploding heads. June was a crazy month for podcasting okay. everywhere but here, but I, I'm glad to be back at the party, man. I'm overwhelmed. I, I mean, overjoyed. Sorry. Overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Freudian slip. Uh, no, I'm, I'm. Wow. I'm happy to be back. Yeah, same here. And so. All right, folks, be, before anything else, let's get into our episode itinerary here. If you're a new listener, here's how we do a what we do. We'll start things off with the party favor segment of the show, act number one, where Dave Z will lead us through a list of the July 2020 horror releases. Next, in the horror deep dive segment of the show, act number two, Dave Z and I are going to each give our insight as we tackle a question someone directed at us on social media some time ago, and that question is, how do you think the current tension in our country will influence the horror films that will be coming out in the near future? What do you think these upcoming films will look like? So that's our question. All this and more in the second act of the episode. And finally, in the Showtime segment of the party, act number three, Dave Z and I will give you a spoiler-free review of Lars von Trier's controversial film, which, you know, I guess is all of his movies, but this is his offering from 2009, starring Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg, and that is Antichrist. After all that, we'll pick our film for the next of our big three-act episodes. We'll give our plugs bid you all a fond farewell. The party will, as it always does, it will close its doors. But if you've seen Antichrist and want to hear a spoiler-filled discussion of the film, then please 
stay for the after party where we go all out. So, Dave Z, there's a lot going on in our little podcasting circle. Some interesting news that has already reached your ears, folks, before you're hearing Dave and me right now. But for those not yet in the know, we want to take a few moments right off the bat here to make some announcements regarding some changes coming up within our podcasting sphere. Plus, we'd like to specifically recognize the podcasting careers of a few close friends of ours who have effectively put the mic down and have retired from casting pods, as it were. So the first announcement is that the Horphilia Podcasting Network, to which the Watsi Party Horror Show gratefully belongs, is coming to an end this upcoming February 2021. I have been in the Horphilia family since 2016. Dave, when did you join the network? Whew, uh, 2013 with Banana Laser. Wow, I always forget it was it was that long ago. My goodness, buddy. So yes, uh, yeah, folks, Jason Lloyd, the CEO of the network, launched Horphilia in 2009 on the back of his show, My Bloody Podcast. From there, many shows joined in over the years. More than a few ran their course and, and disappeared. Some still persist. We here at the party would like to pay our respects to Jason and the Horphilia family. It's strange, man, to think how podcasting on this network has helped me forge connections with people all over the world. Some of these, no joke, are friends who are every bit as precious to me as people I know in real life. And it is with the utmost sincerity that I'd personally, that we would like to personally thank Jason for welcoming us both with open arms and me specifically back when I was shopping my old solo cast around Horror Corridor. And it means a lot that he took me in. And Dave, have you anything to say about your time on Horphilia? Because you've been involved in several of its just premier shows, man. Banana Laser, Skeleton Crew, Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast, ABCs of Hidden Horror, and of course, Wat, you know, Watsy here. You know, you're, you know, a Horphilia, you know, star, Dave Z. You know, how are you feeling about its impending end? Well, I'm, I'm grateful I'm very grateful to Jason and, you know, everyone I've met with our community and everyone who's listened to all these shows and all that stuff is great. But my take is a little bit different, mostly because I know a little bit more about, you know, the behind the scenes. And I, and I talk to sure. Jason so frequently in, you know, in real life. So, yeah, I really feel I'm really very happy for him that the doors are being closed. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know how much he puts into it and everything else. And it. You know, he's benefited a lot from it and he's gotten a, a ton of screeners and he's made a lot of friends and, you know, it's it's been really good for him. But things just aren't, I don't know, things aren't the way they once were years ago. I, I remember when Horophilia, I was listening in like 2012 and it's the, the landscape is entirely different now than it was back then. Back then, there was only probably less than 100 shows uh that horror movie podcast related things period you know now there's so many it's it's and it's a whole different dynamic now and the type of shows that come out now i don't know it's just a different thing so i'm i'm happy he's getting out because you know they say it's it's always great to get out when the getting's good so sure i think he's, he's cashing <laughs> in at the right time he's cashing in with his chips and i'm really happy for him and it's gonna be interesting to see what's next and it's like he told me he said you know what of all the things he goes, you guys made it. He was talking about exploding heads in, in text. He goes, that's one of the greatest things that you guys got out before. And, and, and you're doing your thing now with the Patreon and everything. And, and you, yeah. you guys hit, hit, hit some heights. And, and he goes, so uh, I'm really happy for you guys. And that's what he said. I was like, well, well, thank you. I go, yeah. I go, we'll see if other shows follow or what's going to happen. So, yeah, I'm very happy for him. As far as us, I mean, we're going to be fine, whatever we do. That's fine. ABC yeah, is going to be, we only have one more episode to drop. So that's coming to an end anyway. So it's it's almost like, and you're about to get to it. 
about, about oh, to yeah. get into it next. But I mean, it's almost like everything, it wasn't planned that way. I mean, it kind of was with Jason. He's been hinting at it and he, he actually yep. was, at, he was going to fold it prior. 2019? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I remember that was the original timeline. Then he chose to keep going. Yeah. And it's a lot of work, like you're saying. Yeah. For, for, for to run a network. I can't even imagine. Oh, no, I no, I, I, he has so much on his plate with it now because the thing is he decided not to let new shows in per se and good shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've talked to him about some things and I've sent him messages and I, I shows that I listen to that, 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 that aren't on a network and that have a, a small listenership. And I think that they deserve more of a listenership. So I've actually, there was a time where I could bring him a show and he would listen and put him on that. That's fine. But it got to the yeah. point where he said, I'm not going to do that anymore. It's too much work. He goes, what I will allow to happen is, and, and we've seen it big time, uh, shows that are already on the network for them to have spinoff shows or start with, you yeah. know, if you're already on the network and you start a show, that's different. But he wasn't really bringing outsiders. And the only time he did something was if they're like hardcore listeners of the network, you know what I mean? Then maybe. So he has changed it, but it's funny because he wanted to slow it down. But in fact, what happened was he had less shows than ever, just like a few years ago. But everybody started having so many spinoffs. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, being on one show wasn't good enough for anybody anymore. All of a sudden, everybody's having three and four shows. And everything just got <laughs> crazy. And it did. So I'm definitely happy. The time is definitely right. It, it, it is. It does. It does feel right indeed. And, you know, and this goes into the next of our announcements here. You know, they say that the captain always goes down with his ship. Well, with the upcoming dissolution of the Horphilia Podcasting Network, the man himself, the the myth, the legend, Jason Lloyd, has put his golden microphone down for good. His show, Bloody Bits, was one of my absolute favorites. Dave Z, I can't even count how many times I've appeared on that podcast. And I maintain, and, and I'm putting this out there, that Jason, hands down, puts out the best top 10 year-end list out of everybody in podcast land. He is the master and man we appreciate you good sir from the bottom of my heart you rock we love you and you know thank you for your your podcasting service buddy so yeah there's that and uh you know next we'd like to recognize one of the absolute best hosts and producers who ever did this thing we do here folks he is the man behind the skeleton crew and the married with children podcast and that would be our good friend alex edwards only a few short weeks ago as of this recording within days actually this is peculiar of Jason Lloyd's own similar announcement. Alex gracefully publicized his retirement from podcasting. And while I was saddened to hear about this, especially given how sudden that announcement was, it's humbling to look at his podcasting legacy. He set the bar so damn high for everyone who came in after him in terms of quality production value. Like when I first got into podcasting, Dave Z, I wasn't satisfied with subpar audio and show presentation. For me, it was Produce at Alex's level or go home. And I'll tell you what, he and I recently talked and he told me that he looks back on his podcasting accomplishments with pride and he should. The Skeleton Crew was one of the best horror film review shows ever. And the Married with Children podcast was literally part of my weekly Wednesday morning routine. Dave Z, Alex is the man who got you into podcasting. Isn't that right? 100%. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He, here's the funny thing about that is this is way back, you know, 2011. I didn't even know what a podcast was really. You know, we were buddies uh, on his website, and I remember when he first started putting the, 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 the Rabbit and Red stuff out, because that was prior to the Skeleton Crew. Rabbit and Red was the first show with him and Vince and Michael J., you know? And I remember the early times, they were, they were doing a lot of interviews of Friday the 13th people, 
and he was putting up this rabbit and red stuff in his message boards. And at the time, my attitude about it was, well, what do I want to listen to other people talk about horror? I don't know what, why I had an aversion. <laughs> it's funny because now all these years later, a lot of shows that are out, are, are out now <laughs> are actually what I was picturing back then as far as quality with um, audio and quality mm-hmm. with what they're doing uh, on their show. And I don't mean that, that as a diss. It's just personally, that's just the way I thought. What did I know? I didn't know at the time. And then Skeleton Crew came around and then that, I did, again, I didn't listen at first. I wasn't even hanging around in the first like 40-some episodes. And then... I got on Facebook and I wasn't on a whole lot. One day he messaged me and said, hey, listen, I don't even know how it happened. We got into a conversation one day. I was home from work sick for some reason. I forgot what it was. Had a conversation and he said, dude, did you ever go listen to those uh, those podcasts I told you about? And I said, no. And I think that I was thinking about The Rabbit in Red, not realizing that he was talking about Skeleton Crew, which by that, that time he had moved on. I said, no. He goes, well, he goes, listen, you have to at least go back. And listen to the original ones, the the Friday the 13th, because I know, you know, how big of a fan you are of the franchise. Just give those a listen. And I sat down and I listened and I I couldn't get enough. I remember the first day I listened to the Skeleton Crew, the fir- doing the Friday the 13th retro. It was like sitting down and listening to like a masterpiece of music for the first time. And yeah. <laughs> I was hooked. Hook, line and sinker. That was it. And then, you know that led me into it. Cause I, I was sitting there saying, man, I want to be in on this conversation and me always being a, trying to be an entertainer since I was a kid. Cause that was always my dream. I wanted to be a comedian or an actor or this or that. I used to put on shows. I used to record things on, on cassette and then videotape. So I always had this pension to entertain. And I said, you know what? I think I could do this. I, I love, I love horror. I think I could get on and I, and I could be, you know, hanging with these guys and, and making jokes and doing the best I could. And sure enough, I just had that. The first time I listened, I said, I could do this. I want to do this too. You know, you hear people sometimes say, you know, <laughs> I went to a movie or I did this when I was a kid or I went to a, a football game and they become professionals at that. Well, I didn't become anything that great, but I did get involved in that. And, and that's why I'm here. So long story short, without Alex, th- there's no Dave Z. That, that's that's a fact. Wow. That, that, yeah, that's, that's crazy, man. You know, and unlike Jason, I do got to put this out there. Alex has said, He'll still do guest spots on shows, so it's inevitable that he'll show up to the party here, right, Dave Z? We'll have to get him. Absolutely, and you know what? As far as him retiring, uh, you know, from the production end and everything else, I mean, he was the best at it, and and I wish that more shows now would. I wish his influence would have been stronger on a lot of shows that are still floating around because it's like I think if oh, yeah. half of these shows spend as much time, half as much time editing and producing as they do recording their shows would be a hundred times better for it but you know good luck letting that sink in people don't necessarily get that it's not important to them but you know maybe because i was spoiled and the first show i listened to was the skeleton crew that i've always held that held podcast to that high standard where i want to hear all that stuff but again i've talked to him of course you know many times since he said this but now i'm happy for him because he's feeling good about it he's like oh i don't I don't have to worry about this or that anymore. And so he's happy with it. Good. No, yeah, we, we've talked as well and not, not too much actually at all about that. Well, we did talk a little bit about production and that's when he told me that he was just proud to look back at what he's done and, and be like, yeah, I did that. That's cool. I can feel good about the time it took to do that, even if it was overwhelming at times. And, you know, that, I think that's all we can ask. And, you know, when, you know, we look back at some of the, the things that we've put out there for people to be able to be proud of that. And so... 
yeah, so there, there, there's Alex, folks, and we just we want to recognize him. And finally, <laughs> we come to the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were. And I am that camel. And uh, <laughs> I'm referring to yet another of the greats who has recently announced her retirement. And that would be your two-time co-host, Dave Z, from the Skeleton Crew back in the day and the ABCs of Hidden Horror. I consider her objectively to be the queen of horror movie podcasting. And that would be none other than Jamie Sammons. And look, I- I'm not conveying any of what I'm saying very well right now, folks, but but news of the Horphilia Network's end, along with Jason's, Alex, and Jamie's podcasting retirement, all came out within the same few days. I thought Jamie was kidding, actually, when she posted about this on the heels of Alex calling it quits, but when we recorded our summer series episode together on the podcast Under the Stairs, she mentioned it officially there, and you can hear me on that episode, the 2004 episode, nearly flip out. I'm not even kidding, Dave Z, so... Wow. Uh, You, you, uh, Dave, you and Jamie and Brian are nearing the final episode of the ABCs of Hidden Horror, A through Z. I think you guys finally recorded Z. Is that when she plans to step back? Yeah, she has nothing on the horizon. And I said, um, I said a lot on that show at the end, basically putting her over, giving her props. And, you know, she knows how I feel about her as a person and and as an influence. Oh, I love her. On the podcast community and, and on me specifically and everything else. And here's the thing. What was most important for her at the time was really getting off of social media. And that leads back to a lot of stuff. And that's kind of the reason Exploding Heads did what we did as a similar type thing. I've been behind the scenes with her, of course. I had many discussions with her and Jason and Alex, all of us, group chats, tons, just conversations about in the last couple of years. And honestly, the last, yeah, last year, especially with everything going on uh, in our community and in the world, and just what's happening on social media and it just being such a drag to be there. You'll see. You don't see J- uh, Jason on as much. You don't see Alex on as much. You don't see Jamie at all now. I, 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 believe it or not, even though I'm probably limited on my <laughs> what I do with social media, I may be on there more than all three of them now. I don't know. I can't say for certain because I don't follow everybody, even them. I, yeah. I don't look at the the feeds. I don't, I don't look at the regular Facebook feed. I just stick to the group. So maybe... Maybe Jason and maybe Alex are posting things on their Facebook on their regular page. It's possible. I don't know because I, I don't see it. But I know Jamie really wanted to get out of the social media thing. And I know she hasn't been on Facebook at all. And she's happy about that. So that was step one. That was the most important thing. And that goes hand in hand with podcasting. The reason I and many others remained on Facebook and everywhere else in social media is because of podcasting to talk to the people, to promote the shows, etc. So now if you remove podcast from the equation, well, there's less reason to be on social media now. So I'm not going to say for a fact that she's not going to come back and podcast again, but I, I, I do believe that what's happening now with her social media presence, it's pretty much going to remain that way. I, I hope that she's going to do guesting and other stuff. And maybe her and Brian will put out the occasional show. Right now they don't know and they don't plan on it. But I have more hope for her coming back than anybody. So we'll see. Yeah. And she did say on that episode of the podcast under the stairs that we did together that she'll still do guest spots. Like Jason's the only one who has basically said, nah, (laughs) I'm not doing anything more, which is a bummer because I've never gotten to podcast with him. I've been on his show a bunch as a guest where I solo cast from my end and send him in my audio clip and he stitches everything together with other podcasters, but I've never actually gotten to sit down one-on-one with, with him. But Alex and Jamie have both said, yeah, they'll be doing guest boss, just no 
bigger production and whatnot. So that, that's that's cool. And you know what hits me so hard about this as we wrap this up, folks, in this rather long intro is that Jason, Alex and Jamie are three. And tell me, Dave, if, I, if I'm right here, are three of the most outstanding pillars of our podcasting community. They set much of the foundation upon which shows like this can even stand and Horror Corridor before it. So would you say that's accurate? A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, if there were a top five, they're, they're, they're there. There, there are three that are on that five, just the people that I can think off a hand, offhand. And I would put you in that you five know? as well, Dave Z. I would actually put you in that five. Oh. Maybe you wouldn't agree. No. When I consider the people who shaped the sort of horophilia, uh, you know, the horophilia circles and everything and kind of where where that goes, you're a prominent member, too. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I don't want to underplay that there, you know, but we have look, we have no, the, the Watsi party here. We, we have nothing but love and appreciation for Alex, Jamie and Jason and the network and for their contributions to horror podcasting. And like you said, Dave Z, I'm sure they'll pop up here and there somewhere someday. But yes, party people, we just wanted to take some time here on episode 15 of the show to recognize these three distinguished podcasters and three incredible friends. Most of you listening will know of these fine folks, but if you're newer to the community and don't, and if you'd like to add some high quality shows to your listening queue, please check the show notes of this episode for clear links to their work. I'll make sure it's all laid out for you. You're certainly in for a treat if you do. So please take the time to swipe over in your podcast catching app over to the show notes and get those links. You won't regret that. All right, Dave Z, before we get into party favors, we're almost there, folks. Our good friend and listener of the show, (laughs) Jonathan Wilhelm, a true party peep if there ever was one, he made a group poll on the Watsy Party Facebook group page, Dave Z. And in this poll, (laughs) I can't Mm. stop laughing. He gave people song options and they all voted on which song they want to hear us sing on the show. Now, Dave Z, what do you think about this poll given the fact that Limp Bizkit or No Easy Way Out didn't win the day? I admit to some measure of disappointment there because I don't know the song that won. What say you, good sir? (laughs) Oh, I got the song I wanted. (laughs) Out of curiosity, which was that? It was Real American. Oh, see, I don't know the song. So I will, we'll, we'll have, we'll think of something. I mean, uh, folks, if we choose to sing this song for anybody who voted on that poll on the Facebook group page, folks, this is why you need to be in on our social media, such as it is, is if you were in on that and you're like, I can't wait for them to sing the song, Dave Z will talk behind the scenes and I'll pitch you an idea I have regarding that song and how we'll pull that off. And I, I don't think it'll disappoint if we choose to do it, folks. Nothing concrete, but yeah. But well, let's leave that up in the air before we head into party favors. Dave Z, that, that's all I've got for our introductory portion of the show here. Are we ready to venture into them party favors? Yeah, you know, I think we are. It is now time for the What Z Party Horror Show Party Favors segment to commence. All right, folks, we're here in act one of the show where we discover what's coming out or what we may have already missed as Dave Z takes us all through a list of this month's horror movie releases. On episode number 15 here, our focus is on those films with a July 2020 release date. Dave Z, what have you got for us, my friend? Okay, we begin with a Shudder movie, Shudder exclusive, July 2nd, a movie called Metamorphosis. Okay, let's check this out. Metamorphosis... Bionshin, original title, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't. My Korean is rusty, Dave Z. Just a bit, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> An evil spirit that changes faces infiltrates one family, placing one brother in danger 
while the other tries to save him. Let's check out our cover. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. The, the thing with these Shutter movies, who knows? You know what I mean? You can't really play the cover game with things that aren't regular VOD, as far as I'm concerned. I know it sounds weird, but whatever. This movie comes to us from uh, South Korea, of course. There's very few that come out of North, especially these days. Just nuclear bombs. <sighs> Indeed, yeah, right, <laughs> shit. Maybe some propaganda, who knows, you know? <laughs> oh, definitely some propaganda. <laughs> shit. So, Metamorphosis. Uh, I'll tell you what, I've heard some good things about it. I have not seen it. It's currently at a 5.5 out of 10. Only 471 votes, which never ceases to amaze me how a Shudder original, July the 2nd, we're now on the 11th, only has 500, less than 500 views. How about that? Isn't it something? Didn't you think Shudder is bigger than that? You would think so, yeah. Maybe just being in our community and listening to horror podcasts all the time, as I know we both do, it seems like everybody talks about Shudder, but maybe we're such a niche audience that it's really not that big. But I don't know. I mean, Joe Bob broke the internet when it came up. So I, I've heard good things about this movie. It, it's on my watch list. I just have not gotten to it yet. Certainly, yeah. This looks like... Uh, I, I love supernatural horror. And again, like you said, we can't play the cover game necessarily with these... You know, with especially like Hulu, Shutter, Netflix, you know, because they, they probably have their company standards that they have for those sorts of things. And so, yeah, like you said, you'll get a better sense of the quality of a movie from, say, an independent company that puts out their own cover without having to go through checks and balances and, and anything like that. So I agree with you on that. And but it still looks good. And I, I, I'll I will definitely check out this movie. Yep. It's on the watch list. And when I look at this cover, I zoomed in a little bit, and everybody has like this this blurred face type thing, and except for this priest, and you see people, but do you see that little boy's head on the table? I don't know if you can zoom in on what you're doing right now. Oh, wow, yeah. I, yeah, I didn't notice that the first time. I zoomed in, I go, first of all, how come one guy isn't blurred? Oh, he's the priest. So in other words, he's dealing with all these uh, interesting entities. Yeah, well, I've, ta I've taken photos like this before myself. I have this really good photo of my son when he was like about eight years old, standing stock still in a crowd and I did long exposure photography so everybody moving around him was blurred in that similar fashion but he was stock still like that priest so folks yeah we have a, a group of people sitting in a living room a nice ornate living room and we have this priest this catholic priest who is still and he's just you know like like just a normal picture but everybody else around him is blurred sitting on the couch and whatnot which probably connotes some sort of trouble within this family and i i like the look of it this is a cool cover yeah yeah so um, again we both said we're gonna watch it so maybe we'll talk about that on a future show yep okay that'll lead us to another movie on july 2nd vod it's called cut off cut off maybe that's a double uh hmm, a double meaning cut off they're cut off from the world or maybe a body park gets cut off too that'd be kind of cool oh <laughs> to see exactly what i'm talking about july 2nd cut off this is another Foreign film. This is German. I'm not going to try that. Well, hold on. Abgeschnitten. I don't know. Yeah, you're good. Your guess is as good as mine, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see. This this has a bunch of different uh, genres on it. Action, crime, horror, mystery, thriller. So who knows how much horror it is. Uh, but it's a thriller set. Oh, there it is. A thriller set in the world of forensic pathology. Coroner Paul Hertzfeld finds a capsule in the head of a heavily mutilated corpse containing a phone number and single word. The name of his daughter. Whoa. Wow. Wow. Cut off. Okay, so uh, interesting cover. You know, I've noticed that a lot of times with foreign movies, they do in foreign movies what the United States was doing at like an earlier time. 
You know what I mean? Like with the trends, like who's doing floating heads like that anymore? That is true. That's not something you would see put out in this country. And, you know, my son and I have been listening to a band called Crazy Licks, uh, spelled L-I-X-X. -X, and maybe there could be a third X in there. I, I can't remember. But they, they're a Norwegian band, I believe, or Swedish. Sorry to confuse those for anybody over there. I do believe they're Norwegian. And they do awesome 80s rock. You know, and much like the movie Kung Fury put out also by from that part of the world, they seem to be very interested with 80, 1980s American culture. So that, that's kind of funny that your observation here that a lot of the films from sort of over in that sort of area of, of Europe tend to maybe appreciate American trends that, you know, we, we've kind of moved past and they're embracing. That is very interesting. I'd like to study that a little more closely and put some sort of uh, so, some sort of method to it. That's interesting. You've got my brain firing on a bunch of cylinders right now, Dave. Nice. Hey, that's what I do sometimes. Cool. All right. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> this is a 6.7 out of 10. Almost 3,000. Yeah, I've weighed in on this one. So sounds like it's a quality film. Yes, it does. I like that plot. It sounds like a good mystery. I'd want to know what, I mean, wouldn't you want to know if you found a note with the a phone number and the name of your daughter inside a dead body? I, I'd want to know what's going on, especially <laughs> since I don't have a daughter. <laughs> in your case, <laughs> yes, especially. Be like, what? <laughs> who, who, wow. Is it that one girl <laughs> in that one scare we had? Because it better not be. Yikes. <laughs> Cut off. Where can I find it? says VOD, but usually when I watch, when I look at these things, um, mm -hmm. it'll have a link almost automatically to Amazon because IMDb and Amazon, I guess, whatever, they're hooked up somehow, you know? Okay. Um, oh, yeah, it's available anywhere to rent. Yeah, expensive. Cool. $7 rents everywhere. Oh, yikes. But everybody's carrying it. Yeah, $7 to rent. Okay. But Cut off. It's got a good rating and, and it's got some, uh, you know, if, if you scroll through the reviews, you're seeing some good things there. People are talking about something being brutal and everything else. So, yeah, cut off. I'm a little interested in this Jasna Fritzi Bauer as well. Okay, the interest is warranted. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see? just say. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, uh, you know, uh, you see these headlines and, and the brutality still resonates. 10 out of 10. That's a, you know what? I hear, I see the word brutality and I see that rating and this is officially going on the list. So I'm going to put ah. it in there right now cut off all right well folks you will be hearing about this movie on a future episode almost certainly in either one of our happy hour episodes or mention however we do what we do you'll be hearing about it yes oh yeah yeah i, I think so okay cut off so now that leads us to our next one dead voices dvd on july 7th horror mystery thriller okay two sisters discovering a dark secret while making a documentary about mediums for a college file okay yeah, all right. So we talking found footage then? I don't know. Hmm. Let's see. I'm a little unsure about this cover. I, I don't... It's very middling. I, I can't hate it or love it. It's just kind of there. But mm -hmm. 4.1 out of 10, only 53 ratings. Ooh. It's, it's skating. I don't know. <laughs> That's pretty telling. Mm-hmm. It's too bad. I don't know. Lauren Elbow. I'm, I'm intrigued. Davesy, it does appear to be a found footage sort of mockumentary sort of thing. The trailer automatically just started playing in the uh, IMDb window. It's just it's just playing right now. And I, I, I just hit stop and then I heard a very loud sound in my ears because I, I don't know what that was. And I, I got startled just now. <laughs> but thankfully, nobody will hear what I heard. That's not how the recording software works. But it does look like people are setting cameras in places. But man, with that 4.1 with only 53 ratings, do you feel like another... 
100, 200, 300 ratings will make that number go up, Dave Z? Because I sure don't think so. I do not, especially when I look at the user reviews, because there are 12 user reviews, okay? Out of them, 10 of them say 10 out of 10. One says 1 out of 10, and one says 4 out of 10. So, gotcha. people, <laughs> stop being so transparent. Stop giving it 10 out of 10 if you worked on it, or you're friends with the producers, or whatever. Stop it. You're transparent. Everybody knows when you see this. Just, just start doing 8s or 7s. Just come on. <laughs> yeah, and trick us bet. at least. <laughs> yeah, dude, you can bet that if, if, if Exploding Heads ever makes this movie and, and, and we get to and we put on the B, I'm having my friends and family do do eights and sevens. I'm going to say nobody, maybe one or two <laughs> could put up a 10. That's it. But I mean, you can't. It's it's just transparent. So even with all those tens, so think about this. There are 10, there are 10, 10 out of 10s that we know of out of only 53 votes. And it's only at a 4.1. Yep. It should be. A, it sounds like to me like it should be a 3.1. So, <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think that's going to be a skip. Sorry, people. Okay. Dead voices. That's a skip. Yeah. I mean, we're probably helping people. You know what I mean? Hey. Yeah. They don't have to see this stuff. Okay. Next up is a movie called Browse. B-R-O-W-S-E. Browse. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I was thinking like, uh, like, oh, my, my brow, my, my eyebrow game is on fleek. <laughs> <laughs> I have pretty good eyebrows. I'm just going to say that. I don't do a thing to them, but they they, they, they work. Uh, I'm just going to throw that out there to the party people. No <laughs> and I'm deleting nothing, that. Huh? No. <laughs> wow. Look at you. Ooh, but browse. Okay. Browse. VOD, July 7th. A solitary man becomes convinced that someone hacked into all of his devices and that they're being used to manipulate and control them. Okay, that's... That's intriguing. I like that. These these tech-based th- uh, thrillers and horror movies, I, I, I really enjoy them. Mm. What's that? I'm really disappointed because, number one, the lead actress here is Jocelyn Donahue, who I like a lot. Mm-hmm. 3.8 out of 10 with only 51 votes. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Damn it. <sighs> well. Sorry, Jocelyn. Yeah. I, I, I'm <laughs> sorry, too. I mean, I... I my rule state, no. And then let me see if the cover does anything. The cover looks like something like it should be out of the 90s or something. I was, th- Dave, no joke. I was about to say that. <laughs> I really was. I'm, I'm not kidding, folks. I, I was really, it screamed in 90s to me. And I, I have a movie in my head and a picture I'm covering. And it's reminding me of that. But I, I cannot remember the name of it. But yeah, it, it does look like a 90s cover. And it, it's fine. It really is. Back in the day, if I'd seen this on the shelves at the rental store, I would have picked it up. You know, but... I don't think I'll be picking this up. I'll be saving my $3.99, Dave Z. Yep, yep, I'm with you. So, so far, what do we have? Two and two? Two, two uh, ones we'll probably watch and two that we won't? I, mm-hmm. think. I think that's where yep. we're at. Okay, now this takes us on to a movie called Homewrecker. Homewrecker is coming to us July 7th. Okay, so by the time you hear this, it's, it's out. It's out, folks. Okay, two women befriend each other, but one becomes obsessed with the other. Really? That That's our description. Hmm, maybe I get a better one than that. That just sounds like a, a generic thriller. <laughs> no, right? Yeah, that sounds like anything out of the early 90s that might have starred, uh, what was it, Bridget Fonda or Sharon Stone. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Okay, here, this is better. Michelle is an interior designer and newlywed to Robert. Linda lives alone and fills her days with painting and exercise classes. Seeking a new friend, Linda coerces the reserved, deferential Michelle into visiting her home for a spontaneous interior design consultation. Once inside, it quickly becomes clear that Linda has something far more sinister on her mind than throw pillows. <laughs> okay. 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 That sounds good. 
Now, here's where my disappointment lies. And I know, I know I'm in the minority, but when I see this cover and I, and I, and I, and I see this description, I'm thinking it's going to be not comedy horror, but it's comedy horror. Comedy first, according to the beat. Sure, sure. You don't like that cover, Dave Z? I do like the cover. That's what I'm saying. I enjoy okay. the cover and I enjoy the synopsis. But I, I, when I look at it, I don't picture it as comedy horror. Now that I read comedy horror, I think this is like a like serial mom or something, which I enjoy. That's fine. <laughs> serial <But>, mom. <laughs> you know, but when I see this and I, I see the title and, and I, I'm thinking maybe, you know, stepfather or I don't know, something, something cooler. Maybe the comedy is tongue in cheek. Maybe it's going to be not over the top. I mean, you, you don't know until you watch it, but 6.4 right now, only 70 votes. Hard okay. to say. Precious Chong is the star. I, I don't mean to sound insensitive, but I, she doesn't look like a Precious Chong to me. Right, but she's the sister of Gilbert Chong, Paris Chong, and Marcus Chong. Uh, oh, here, here's your answer, my friend. Tell it. Adopted by Tommy and Shelby Chong. So they have uh, adopted children. Gotcha. Well, and, and before before I get myself into trouble by by saying, oh, how can how can a blonde white woman have the name Precious Chong? Shouldn't that be either like a, a black or Chinese lady? Let me just put it out there. My mother is extremely dark skinned and her name is Dina Dioria. And you, you'd be like, well, what's this Filipino lady doing here? So just throwing that out there. OK. All right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's very interesting. Tommy Chong. OK. And Alex Esso. How about yes, that? I'm sold. Nice. I'm sold. I'm sold too. Okay, home wrecker. Home wrecker. Don't let us down. You can run it now. Yeah, don't let us down. Six point four out of ten with seventy ratings. Please maintain that level of that rating right there, and this this could be a surprise. Yes, it can. Okay, well, there's cool. another one. So so far we have a lot of movies this week, by the way, and you guys will will hear as we go along. So so far it, it's not bad. It's a mixed bag, and I'll take that. Okay, that brings us on to another movie here called Parts Unknown. Oh, <laughs> Parts Unknown, also July 7th. Okay, let's talk about Parts Unknown. Obviously, wrestling fans are going to know what, that's, that, what that is. Uh, after putting their bodies on the line for countless years, a family of professional wrestlers seeks a brand new way to satisfy an impeccable bloodlust. Okay, okay. Uh, only 15 freaking ratings, 5.1. Wow, only 15. That's, a that's it, huh? Yeah. I love, love this cover. Dude, that cover is electric, folks. Neon, it just oh, it's very, it's very pretty. Pinks and oranges, man. That that is eye catching, if ever anything ever was. See, and once again, it's art. There are lots of times when we talk about um, it being artwork, not not pictures at all, and it being mm. detrimental. This, it just, it just pops. It, it is artwork, and it's it's done well. I mean, other movies may have better artwork, but it it doesn't fit a movie. You know what I mean? This yeah, fits a movie, yeah. and, and and it looks good, and it has those those colors like you mentioned. It pops. It's wrestling related, so okay. I, I want to watch it. I do, but I think I think I'm gonna have it's gonna be a wait and Z. I think I'm gonna have to to see because mm -hmm. there are a lot of wrestling fans who who also watch horror. So I have a feeling that people are gonna watch this, and if it's good, I think we're gonna hear about it. Sure, sure thing. Maybe not. I mean, maybe it's under the radar. Maybe our show is going to bring it out. Who knows? But I mean, we'll see. I, I, I can't say I'm not intrigued. That's for sure. Indeed. I mean, I wait and see as well for Parts Unknown. Yeah, Parts Unknown. Okay, so we're not doing too bad. Okay. No. Not at all. Okay, so next up is another shutter. It's called The Beach House. And I'm hearing 
A lot of people talk about this, mostly positive, but 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 some negative. This movie, July 9th, premiered on Shudder. A romantic getaway for two troubled college sweethearts turns into a struggle for survival when unexpected guests and the surrounding environment exhibit signs of a mysterious infection. Yes, I've heard people hmm. compare this to the Bay, but this is not oh. done in that. In, but not done in that style. It's not okay, documentary okay. or anything like that. I, but that's also been some of the criticisms. Some people said I was watching it and I wanted to turn it off and watch The Bay because of it. Because it was, oh. it, they considered The Bay a better movie. So they wanted to, let's watch uh, you know, a better movie tackled the same subject. But again, that's only some of the criticism. I've heard some good things. Uh, 5.5 out of 10, 365 ratings. Still okay. not a lot, but it's only two days in. So... Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's. It, I, I'll be honest. I put it on my watch list because I heard, I heard three or four people right away said, "Hey, check this one out." So I put it on the watch list. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm 100% going to watch it, but mm-hmm. it's piqued my interest. I don't know about you. Have, you. have you been hearing things like I have? Actually, I believe I was hearing the same things you were hearing in the Exploding Heads secret chat. Uh, I that's where I heard a little bit about it, and it, it it's on my list as well. Probably a little, I would say like, it's one of those things where I wouldn't say it is a certain watch, but it's like a a small step, maybe half a rung above a wait and Z. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of where I am with it. The cover's fine. Yeah. Nothing amazing. Nothing egregious. It it looks, it's solid. Mm -hmm. And I'm intrigued if, if anything's compared to the bay and you set your expectations accordingly. I can't see this being too bad. No, no. Yeah. No, I think, uh. We'll hope for the best, you know? Cool. Hope for the Sounds best. good. Beach House, okay. Beach House. Okay, so now the next one I believe is also... No, okay, it's not Shudder. I apologize. But it's one that I've been hearing a lot about. It's called Relic. Let's see. Relic VOD, July 10th. A woman links her mother's increasingly vol- volatile behavior to an evil presence at their family's decaying country home. Oh, wow. So I'm already into that, Dave Z, and th- I, lo- I love this cover. It's a simple photo shoot. The color scheme is good. The rating, Dave Z. Wow, 6.1 out of 10 out of almost 1,000 ratings. Okay. People are on this. Nice. Yeah, and it's got Bella Heathcote, who was from The Neon Demon. (gasps) Oh, it is her. See that that, that, uh, pretty uh, aesthetically pleasing young lady on the right of the cover? I I believe that's her. Wow. So, yeah, I'm in. This this looks really good, and I, I, I love that idea of you know, manifestations of dementia and, you know, and, and these sorts of things and, you know, hauntings and, you know, if, if, if indeed they don't screw me over by making everything in the character's heads or something, but even this plot might play out like where that can work. So I don't know. This looks pretty good to me. Yep. It, it, it's been on my watch list for a few days, actually. So nice. And it is available to rent, Dave Z? This is available to rent. Yeah. Yep. It's all cool. over the place. Six dollars for the, is usually what it's going for sounds sounds like it's okay. good though the director yeah. uh natalie erica james a female director always good to see especially in our genre Ooh. okay so that's relic is on, is on my list another good one okay indeed now here's one i'm bringing up maybe if we did our because i've heard about it before so i think it's already been on vod but we haven't discussed it at all mm-hmm. it's coming to, to dvd on july 14th and it's called body cam Mm-hmm. I know. I think I've heard. I think I've heard Jason Lloyd himself talk about it um, on the Rotten Roundtable. I think for that matter. Yep. The guest there. I think that's what it was. And I've seen it. Yeah, I've seen it already. Oh well, then I guess we'll be hearing more from you on the next episode. Okay. That so, is true. Um, yep. Let's see. 
When a routine traffic stop results in the unexplained grisly death of her colleague, a cop, Mary J. Blige, realizes footage of the incident will play for her eyes only. As the attacks mount, she races to understand the supernatural force behind them. Okay, 5.2, 1100 plus ratings, Mary J. Blige, interesting. I can dig it. Th that cover yeah. I've seen done too many times. Oh so yeah, the cover really... is is something else. And yeah, it, it is deserving of about a 5.2 to 5.5 or something in that range. I don't want to see it go any lower because it doesn't deserve that. But it's a cool it's a cool flick. So I may or may not be putting that. that that's a wait and see. I'll probably really wait until our next episode when I Definitely. hear what you have to say. Uh, I, I think honestly though, it, it's from what I've heard, it's just one of those movies that nobody's over the moon about, but people are like, you know what? That wasn't a bad flick. That That's what I'm getting so far. I mean... Well said. Yep. We'll wait and see. The thing is, that's that seems to be the story of 2020 when it comes to films. Mm -hmm. And I may have said this on an earlier episode, because I, I, I do tend to repeat myself about something like this, but that's this seems like that year. It's just like, yeah, it was pretty good. And that's there's too many movies like that this year. But again, the second half... Honestly, the, the last quarter always seems to be the best time of year yep. for horror movies every year. Uh, but this is the one year I'm kind of buying into the hype of it not being strong. Usually everyone's complaining and I'm like, nah, hold on, wait and see. Everything's okay. I've seen a couple. Right now, I don't know. This may end up being the weakest year in a while. And, and I hope I'm wrong because honestly, with everything else happening in the world this year, we, we could use one really positive thing, you know? But that we could. <laughs> and we're going to get more into that topic later on our deep dive about what, this year and, and, and what's to come with oh, yeah. and the influence. So, okay. So that's that one body cam and it's just going to be hanging around. Okay. This one is also coming to Shudder. It's called Lake of Death and it's coming Ooh. on July 16th. Lake of Death on Shudder. Okay. Lillian and some friends travel back to the remote cabin by the little lake where her twin brother died last year. And soon after arriving, strange things happening. Pardon me, but that's the way it's written. <laughs> OJT. Write him. He's, he's somebody re re writing reviews or writing... How do you write synopsis, this is synopses on, on IMDb? Can I do it? Right? I have wondered this for some time, if I can get in on this, because... Folks, except they, I don't know if they deserve my high quality. I don't know. No. <laughs> well, forget it then. We'll save them for the show. We'll, we'll, maybe, yeah. maybe we'll make up our own. We'll watch the movies, and then we'll give synopsis after we've seen the film. It would make sense. Dude, right? I, I, Dave Z, I have been known to change up certain little things. If you go over this show, folks, and you read, because you, I usually pull them from Google or you know different different other places, not always IMDb for the exact reason Dave Z's talking about, but sometimes you'll be like, wait, where'd he get this one or where'd this line coming from? Folks, you're welcome, but... <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hit a boy. Okay, so this one, this cover's cool, but like you said, if this is going to be something Shutter, you know, they, they do have their standard for how they want their covers to be. And, you know, obviously, I mean, if you're, if I was a streaming service, I'd be like, okay, hey, up your game a little bit or we'll commission our own cover, however, however that industry works. But, okay, uh, what's the rating on this, Dave Z? Yeah, the rating is 4.2, only 180. That's a bummer. It is a bummer. It's a foreign film, too. It's from Norway. Mm -hmm. Lake of Death. Damn. And it's ex inspired by the 1958 classic horror film. I was not aware of a 1958 movie uh, by the same name. That I Yeah, but it, maybe it could be something from Norway or something from that part of the world where maybe we just aren't hip to that. That, that could very well be the case. But 
I, I do, man, I, I am a sucker for cabin in the woods type horror movies. It, it's something, because I love, I've there, I, there have been many occasions where I've gone out to cabins in the woods and had some of these scenarios play out, except for the horror parts of them. And so I always, <laughs> I, I always enjoy these. Well, I don't always enjoy them. I always like the setup, at least, Dave Z. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Well, I'm, Dave Z, I'm thinking Wade and Z here because with that 4.2, it, you know, with 183 ratings, that does seem, yeah, the, you know, it does seem as though there still might be you no know, room for that number to grow or decline or or, or to, to shrink. I, I don't know, number shrinking. But the, yeah, but I, it, that usually doesn't happen. It's usually not the case where a 4.2 will suddenly jump up to a 6.5 because another 100 people rated it. It's usually, the verdict is usually clear to see about now when we're hitting, when we're in the hundreds, kind of. So, right. mm, I, I don't know, man. I might, wait and see for sure. If, if we hear something like, wow, this is one of those movies that really surprised me. Check it out, folks. IMDb doesn't know what they're talking about. Like with, say, Dark Summer, then I'm in. But I don't know if we're going to get that, buddy. Yeah, I hear you. Well, speaking of things we're not going to get, the next two movies that I w- was going to talk about, we're not going to get them. <laughs> they're not they're not going to be released after all. One of them is called Ghost of War. It's supposed oh, to come out. Oh, we're not getting that? On the 17th. No, it's completed, oh. not yet screened, and all it says is theatrical on the 17th. So that means hmm. skip. It's not coming out. And this other one that follows it is called St. Maud which I've heard a lot about. I just heard Mark Nadel recently talking about it. Actually, he was excited because I listened to the Rotten Roundtable horror cast mm-hmm. just recently, and he was saying that he was excited because it finally got a release date because the first one got pushed because it got pushed from, I don't know, one date to another, maybe April to July 17th. But three days ago, they said, in fact, the July 17th thing is no longer on the table and it's postponed indefinitely. So, mm. But I've heard to really keep your eyes on St. Maud. As far as Ghost of War, can't say a whole lot, but remember those titles, I guess, <laughs> is all I can okay. say. Sounds good. Duncan McLeish of the podcast Under the Stairs reviewed Saint Maud, and it sounded like he was over the moon about it. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. So he, he liked it a lot, and, and, and so did Marvino. They've both seen it, so well, hopefully we get to see it this year. If not, well, then it's possibly something to look forward to. Okay, cool. so that'll bring us to a movie called Blood Vessel. And that's coming out on the 21st. And let's see. Somewhere in the North Atlantic, late 1945. Oh. A lift raft adrift at sea, and in it, the survivors of a torpedoed hospital ship with no food, water, or shelter all seems lost until an abandoned German minesweeper drifts ominously towards them, giving them one last chance at survival. Oh, a ghost ship, huh? Mm. Okay, so we've got a situation where... We've got some survival horror where you're stuck out in a boat and probably, you know, when you're out in the ocean, it's one of those situations that our buddy Jay of the Dead likes to say is that the situation becomes worse as time goes past, as more time passes. So I'm all, I'm down with that. And then maybe a ghost ship or even if it's not a ghost ship, which I'm going to go ahead and assume it is, you know, it, it might not be great to be, you know, an American, you know, ship and having a German ship come across you. Okay, this is intriguing. I this cover is really, uh, it's really colorful. I'll say that. I don't hate it. No, I'm, I'm okay with it. Okay. Yeah, I'm okay with it. And uh, 5.9, only 42 people in on it so mm. far. Okay. So okay. That's not all that telling. But again, it's a wait and see. Again, as far as I'm concerned, it, it's it's on the radar. Keep my Indeed. eyes open. I'm not about to put it on the watch list yet. But interesting. And if you like stuff involving, you know, World War II or stuff involving boats. 
then it should be on your radar. Yeah, definitely. And I'm curious to see how a 1945 period piece will will translate to screen. Are, are they going to focus on, you know, making that atmosphere come alive for the viewer? If so, I'm in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely in for that. Okay, that's going to lead us to a movie called Impetigor, I guess is the way to pronounce it. Dave Z, I'm, our, I'm in. Whatever, I don't know what the synopsis of this is, but I, I'm seeing that number. I'm seeing the amount of ratings. I'm seeing that cover. Dave Z, I'm convinced. Tell the people. All right, let's see. Maya with her best friend, Dini, tries to survive in a city without a family. She realized that her... Wait. She realized that she might inherit a property from her rich family. Maya returns to the village with Dini and unaware of the danger, was waiting for her. Who's writing these things? <laughs> that synopsis is silly. Yeah. <laughs> they change tense uh, from, from, from present tense to past tense every other sentence. Man, come on. Unless it's somebody from Indonesia trying to write in English... Uh, Unless that's the case, I'm, you're giving a big, you're getting a big tisk tisk from the party. Yes, you are. Okay. Well, I'm okay with the cover. I'll say that. Yeah. And I'm okay with the rating. Like you said, seven point three, and it's over a thousand. Yeah. Wow. Let's see. Well, it's gonna go on the watch list. I think. I think I'm with you there, buddy. Oh yeah. And and the thing is, I'm loving a lot of the films that come out of Indonesia, like the the Raid and the Raid Two. The Night Comes for Us. Uh, the, what was that? The, it was the there was another one that Timo Chianto did that was kind of like an Indonesian Evil Dead from 2018 that was super neat or maybe 2019 I, I can't remember. It's all it's all blending oh. together for me, folks. Indonesia puts out some good stuff. I'm in. I've seen that one too. It was okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I forgot to mention this one's gonna be on Shutter. So. Oh, it's a, it is a Shutter release. Okay, it didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't see that here. Okay. Yeah, they're freaking killing it with all these releases lately. Good. I mean, in, in, I mean, yes, we're not getting theatrical. And don't even get me started on a tangent about Halloween. But uh, <laughs> wait, Dave Z, Dave Z, this guy, this director was the the man who brought us Satan's Slaves 2018. Oh, that's the one. That's how I know that Jocko Anwar. And uh, OK, I, I'm in because I loved Satan's Slaves. And even when I when I did my top 10 of 2018 i think satan slaves that either just made it or it was right outside that but i when my son and i watched it together again i was like oh there's no reason this shouldn't have been in my top 10 of 2018 what a movie so if if he can show us those same directing and writing chops because he is the writer director of impedagore here then i i i can't see how this is going to be a letdown excellent oh good all right good on shutter impedagore nice okay Next, VOD, the rental. I keep, I, I, you know, I keep saying VOD when I specifically keep saying it at the beginning of this, and I'm not going to say it. But <laughs> you, you I read did, it. Yeah, you said that, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm a creature of habit. I read it, and there it is. Well, anyway. <laughs> so, Dave Z, there are two movies when I type in the rental on IMDb. Two pop up, and they both look like they could be horror. Oh, God, three. And I don't know which is which, buddy. Well, it's the first one. That, it's 2020. It's got the blue cover. Okay, good. That's the, okay, sweet. Allison Brie. Okay, I remember, yeah. Alison Brie, yeah. How do I know Alison Brie? Alison Brie was in that show Community, Glow. She's done some movies here and there. Horse Girl. Horse Girl, yes. I haven't seen that yet, but yeah, I've, I've heard it's good. And yeah, she's a, she's a good actress. Wow, uh, directed and written by Dave Franco, brother of of, of uh, James Franco. So, okay. Joe Swanberg screenplay. So, this, this is looking like something that was probably meant for theaters. And that cover, okay. Dave Z, I, I'm liking what I'm seeing here. I like that cover too. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, it's clever. And it's a nice color. Yeah, I, I 
I dig what that's saying. We don't have any information. July 21st, 2020. Maybe this, yeah. Let's hope this isn't falsified and it's not going to come out. But it, do, it does say VOD, so I'm going to roll with mm -hmm. it. Uh, and this is what it says. Uh, two couples rent a vacation home for what should be a celebratory weekend getaway. Really? That could be a comedy. That's it? <laughs> well, I, I, there has to be more than this. Let me try this. Let me try this one here. Two couples on an oceanside gateway. Pardon me. Getaway. <laughs> <laughs> grow suspicious that the host of their seemingly perfect rental house may be spying on them. Okay. okay. Uh, now I'm intrigued. There we Before go. Long, yeah. What should have been a celebratory weekend trip turns into something far more sinister as well-kept secrets are exposed and the four old friends come to see each other in a whole new light. All right. Okay. The rental horror thriller. So I, I, there's mm -hmm. no guessing around there. Again, I hope this drops. I hope it's supposed to be VOD, but uh, mm -hmm. hmm. yeah, with no yeah, with no ratings. So yeah, we can't get a sense of that. But this cover, the fact that Dave Franco and Allison Brie are in it, they're husband and wife, by the way. I forgot about that. I I feel oh, like really? this. We'll be hearing about this, of course. This will be one of those that people will absolutely be disgusting, uh, discuss disgusting discussing because there is some a-level talent here going on a-lister talent rather so i can't see this being one of those releases that nobody's speaks on i'm sure we'll be hearing about it and we'll be able to better inform our own uh, likelihood of viewing it so I, I as it stands i'll check it out yeah i think i'm gonna watch it too we'll cool see. i tell you one thing like i was saying it's been kind of slow this year but july looks like it's we're starting to get a lot of releases mm -hmm. that's fine with me I, I mean those other movies can wait i guess I just as long as we keep having months like this. So, okay. Amulet, July 24th. I've heard about this one. Okay. Have you? I, ha I have not. I do believe that the rotten on the, one of the Horcast Rotten Roundtable episodes, Mark Nato did mention this, and I can't remember what he said, but I'm seeing this cover, and I'm loving that. Yeah, yeah. What is that? A, a nun with a... We have a, uh, like what looks like maybe a nun and leathery demonic wings are kind of protruding out of the back of her habit as though to say like, ooh, is this, is this a holy woman or an unholy woman? What do we got going on here? I'm in. Hmm. Okay. And I love religious horror, man. I love demonic, satanic horror, good versus evil, God, the devil, man, I'm in. I'm in there too. It's, it's got a six, six even, only 55 rating, so hard to okay. say. Synopsis as follows, an ex-soldier living homeless in London is offered a place to stay at a decaying house inhabited by a young woman and her dying mother. As he starts to fall for her, he cannot ignore his suspicion that something sinister is going on. Okay. Hmm. Well, not a lot of information, but have faith and fear. That's the tagline. <laughs> oh, okay. A amen to that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, no reviews. No written. Nothing. So, amulet. For me, it's kind of a it's a back burner type movie at the moment. But, you know, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Can't say I'm not. Okay, Amulet. I don't remember. See, I listen to Rotten Roundtable, and usually if, if Mark Nato does say something that he really likes, I tend to go to the B and look at it and play my game and look at the cover, yep. look at the rating, and then judging by that, put it on my watch list. But it's not on my watch list. But honestly, there's not enough ratings for, it to, for me. That's what it comes down to. You know, yep. if it was 500 ratings and it was a strong sixth, then then yeah agreed yep all right now here we go here's one <laughs> deep blue c3 <laughs> dave z what is the likelihood that you're going to watch this on a scale from one to ten how likely are you to watch deep blue c3 well considering i've never seen deep blue c1 and two. Oh. <laughs> Zero. 
<laughs> gotcha. <laughs> Sorry, uh, unless I hear something amazing. But that would really suck because then I have to go back and watch the other two now. Yes. Which I've heard the first one is fine. I remember it from when I was a teenager, and I remember liking it, but there again, I mean, it was one of those movies when I was in high school, and it it might not hold up. I'll check with Don and Ellie. Oh, jeez, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shout out, buddy. after all. <laughs> yep, it is a shark. Good old Don. Okay. <laughs> well, the cover kind of looks like the other two, mm-hmm. right? Or am I wrong? It, it, you know, I can't recall what those covers look like off the top of my head, but it, it makes sense for what those are. Okay, so, all right. Deep Blue C3, Dr. Emma Collins and her team are spending their third summer on the island of Little Happy, studying the effects of climate change on the great white sharks who come to the nearby nursery every year to give birth. Along with the last two inhabitants of this former fishing village, their peaceful life is disrupted when a scientific team, scientific in quotes, <laughs> led by her ex-boyfriend, <laughs> <laughs> and marine biologist Richard show up looking for three bull sharks who we soon learn aren't just any bull sharks. What okay, so I, I got to stop here because I love that <laughs> sentence. Like, along with the last two inhabitants of this former fishing village, their peaceful life is disrupted when a scientific team. I love that. That just that screams like just a bunch of snark to me. I don't know why that just like I, I had to I almost muted the mic because I was about to bust up freaking laughing as I took a drink of my water. <laughs> yeah, a scientific t- like what? <laughs> this guy's giving things away I think yeah you know? I guess so I guess we're not supposed to trust them and Dave Z <laughs> you know accidentally and that's in air quotes as well clicked uh, the pro- the actor profile here on uh, IMDB of uh, one Brashad Mayweather and I'm just saying this guy is just like ripped I, I, if, I want those abs my god like I feel like you could do laundry on those sons of bitches my goodness. Oh, yeah, look at that guy. Wow, Jeez. indeed. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I am exercising after this. I, I'm like, okay, that's that's what that is. But, uh, man, yeah, I'm not... Even though, folks, we don't... Uh, unless, unless, Dave Z, you're seeing something else on your end, I'm seeing no ratings or anything like that. Nothing to give us a sense of the, you know, the, the numerical quality of the movie. No, not much at all. Just another shark film, I guess. Deep Blue Sea. Well, yeah, the, the likelihood I'll watch it. I'll tell you what I'll do. If and when I hear Don and Ellie talk about it, I'll listen to that and watch the movie vicariously through that review. But I'm not I'm not in. I'm not in. Nah, not, not yeah. my uh, cup of tea, really. Okay. This next movie is my cup of tea. In fact, I've already seen it. It's coming. Oh, it's coming on July 28th. Finally, finally to VOD after only being available on DVD for the past. I don't know how many months. It's been a while. It's some. Um, ridiculously obscene price but mm-hmm. it's finally coming here uh in search of darkness if, in case you don't know this is a documentary about 1980s horror an exploration of 80s horror movies through the perspective of the actors directors producers and special effects crash people who made them and their impact on contemporary cinema oh wow so, uh, it's how much it's, it's quite long four almost four and a half hours long it's holding a strong eight out of ten rating over a thousand ratings and uh, I quite enjoyed it. They go through every year of the 80s, and they, 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 they show a wall with all the cover art on it. And all it did about it, every time they show that wall, I'm thinking, man, I just want all of those cover arts on my wall every mm-hmm. time. Like, if I have any blanks, I have a whole bunch of posters filled with cover arts everywhere I look. But obviously, I have blank spots in between my posters. You can't just have poster after poster <laughs> on top of each other. But yeah. <laughs> every time I look at these blank spots, I want to take those VHS covers and just line them up there and every bare spot. So my whole freaking area down here is just lined everywhere with them. Cause I, 
uh, just chasing back to those those rental days, the VHS. Ah, so great. But anyway, they go through each year. They'll go through 1980. They'll put up all the movies. They'll talk about, you know, a handful of movies from each year. And then they'll go to like a little, uh, like a side thing. Like now we're going to talk about um, Scream Queens of the 80s or something. And then they'll talk about that for 10, 15 minutes. And they'll, they'll do different topics in, in, in each year chronologically, of course. Really good. I mean, you're, you're not going to learn anything new for the most part. I mean, there are a couple things, but to sit down and watch it, it's just, you know, if that's your cup of tea and if you were there especially, it, it's just, it's so great to, to, to relive these movies and to just, it's very nostalgic. And I'm glad they made this. Apparently they're making another one already. Oh, cool. Dude, this looks, this looks great. And I do believe I remember hearing a review of it from the homie Dr. Shock from DVD Infatuation and Horror Movie Podcast, Land of the Creeps. I believe he had mentioned this movie and, and said it was pretty amazing. So I, I, I really want to get on this four and a half hours long of, of a documentary, man, of 80s horror. This sounds like, this sounds freaking great. Yeah. Wow. How about that cover too, man? Oh, I love it. That, that's what's up. Oh, I love it. It's got the VHS. It's got the Nintendo on top of the freaking VHS box. Oh, it does. <laughs> that was oh, my that, setup back in the day. It was all our setups back in the day. How about that? Oh, uh, I might. I, I don't tend to buy new posters, new mm. poster up, but this is something I, I could probably display if it's available. I, I like it. It's got all the characters behind it. Yeah, so In Search of Darkness, in case you guys haven't heard, it's going to be VOD uh, okay. very soon, so get it. I mean, because people weren't, seeing it for a long time because the movie was like i'm telling you it was ridiculously expensive i, I was like angry i was like there's no way um <laughs> i'm gonna pay this kind of money to watch to watch a movie you know yeah at least now we're getting it you got to be patient sometimes and there you have it in search of darkness Let's all see, right how much is it now there's a blu-ray 47.99 oh and it's out of, it's out of stock so people did buy it all good for oh. them you know <laughs> i couldn't do it but Good on the, uh, on the people that, I mean, it, it afforded them to make a second one because they're going to have a new one coming out. So Oh, excellent. Sign me up for more 80s stuff. So yeah, In Search of Darkness, get on it. Do not hesitate. Very good stuff. And one more movie. We're finally here. This movie goes by the name of Dead Dicks. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, uh, this one is coming out on the 28th as well. And let's see, Dead Dicks. After Becca receives a distressing call from her suicidal brother, Richie, she rushes she rushes over to his apartment and finds him alive and well, surrounded by copies of his own dead body. Ah. Oh, okay. Oh, and his name's Richie. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just want to say I'm not mature enough for this title. Just want to throw that out there to folks. Indeed. 6.4 out of 10 on the B here with 152 ratings, dead dicks. This could be interesting. I could like be. that mystery. Yeah. Um... I'm okay with this cover. Right? Yeah, the cover's okay. Fine. You know, nothing special, but I don't know. Not terrible. I mean, when I look a little closer at the artwork, when I do the zoom, I, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I'm having a little bit of reservations, but uh, sure. there's a Cronenberg comparison on, on the front here. Oh, but gotcha. I don't know. This is definitely uh, a wait and see again. Because For sure. I, I, I need I need more people to, uh, to check it out and uh, do the dirty work for me. Or I can decide. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right there with you, buddy. So that that was the last film, right? That was the last film, my friend. We made it. Woo! July, July, July. How about that? So, well, folks, that concludes our party favor segment, which brings Act One of this horror show to a close. It is now time for the Watsy Party Horror Show Horror Deep Dive segment to commence. 
Alright folks, we're here right now in the Horde deep dive portion of the party and this is our topic of discussion segment. On this 15th episode, we're going to kick off the deep dive here with a timely and pertinent question that brings all of us in this crazy world in which we're living face to face with the horror genre. Horror is and always has been a means by which we can examine our innermost fears. These can be intimate and personal in nature, or they can be large and universal. In the case of our deep dive here and now, we're zooming out and we're looking at ourselves as a collective. Horror often acts as a mirror, reflecting our big societal worries and anxieties right back at us. And right here and now in the summer of 2020, the world is in turmoil, unlike many of us have seen in our lifetimes. Now, possibly, you know, someone could be hearing this episode many years from now. So for posterity's sake, we here in the United States of America are in the middle of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. At least that's what you call it if you're classy. All right, look, here, here's the deal. Some of you, some of y'all be calling it that coronavirus and okay, that's fine. Some call it COVID-19 a little better. That's a little better there. But if you're calling it SARS-CoV-2, we can vibe up here at this higher level right along with the people who call it Dat-Rona or Dem-Rones. Dave Z, you don't got Dem-Rones, do you? <laughs> Dem-Rones. It's like a commercial. Them bones, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, give me them bones. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, anyway, anyways, as of right now, in July of 2020, I'd like to read for you the current statistics that I've got here from Google News. So in Thurston County, Washington, where I live, there have been almost 350 confirmed cases of the virus. Eight of these have been fatal in Washington state, where I live. There have been more than 41,000 confirmed cases. Approximately 1,400 of these have been fatal. In Niagara County, New York, where Dave Z lives, there have been nearly 1,300 confirmed cases, and approximately 70 of those have been fatal. In New York State, where Dave Z is, there have been more than, get this, 400,000 confirmed cases of the virus, and approximately 32,000 of those have been fatalities. In our country, the United States as a whole, there have been roughly 3.1 million confirmed cases of the virus, and approximately 134,000 of these have been fatal. And finally, the worldwide estimated number of confirmed SARS-CoV-2 cases is at nearly 12 million. More than half a million of these have been fatal. So as we sit here recording, uh, we can't say for sure just how high these numbers will, will go. If you're listening many years from now, you, you, you know better than we do. But as this virus has spread over the planet, it's brought the world economy to its knees. Millions are without jobs. And then on top of the virus, which itself sits atop our pre-existing problems as a species, a Caucasian police officer named Derek Chauvin, along with one other Caucasian officer, an African-American officer, and a Hmong American officer, took part in the murder of an unarmed African-American man named George Floyd, who pleaded for his life for 8 minutes and 46 seconds until he died as a result of their excessive force. All because of a counterfeit $20 bill. And hell, maybe it was all because Floyd and Chauvin used to work together at the same nightclub the year prior in 2019. And maybe there were things going on there that none of us know about. Either way, whether this specific act of violence better demonstrates racial injustice or the blatant systemic corruption and abuse of power within the Department of Justice, that's less the point than the fact that riots broke out all over the world as a result of Floyd's unjust treatment and our country divided ever further. The fracture just got deeper, drove us more apart. We got all these questions and hard topics to discuss right now. Whose lives really matter? Who's feeling like their lives don't? Who's wearing a mask? Who refuses? We have an election year coming up, folks, and both parties are broken. 
orange man bad, right? Creepy Biden and his cognitive decline is sad. It, it feels hopeless out here in the United States, let alone in other places around the world who are dealing with their own tragedies on top of everything new. You know, many of us are living a real life horror movie. And so the question Dave Z and I received that we're using for our deep dive here on the show right now is how do you think the current tension in our country will influence the horror films that will be coming out in the near future? And what do you think these upcoming films will look like? So, Dave Z, I mean, what do, what do you think about, first off, everything I just said? I mean, the, the world is it's a crazy place to live in right now. We're, we're deep in it. What do you think about this question or if you have anything to respond to with the statistics and just, you know, the police violence we saw? Anything to say before we dive into the question? Mm, it's it's a bunch of heavy shit, honestly. Yeah, I, man, <laughs> I know. I That's why I just kind of wanted to get past it because, my goodness, it, it, heavy shit indeed. Yeah, I, I, I don't give it much attention, which sounds ignorant, but but I know what's happening. I know I know of COVID, and, and I know what I'm supposed to do to take care of myself and, and others, and I, I follow the guidelines and wear my mask. I do everything I'm supposed to do. I'm well aware of everything that's... I don't watch the news, but you don't have to watch the news to know because you can't escape it. So I get everything secondhand. I, I, I hear from things at work. My wife tells me a couple things. Like, you know, it's hard to avoid. If you're on social media at all, you have to duck dodge and freaking and do hurdles to, to get away from it so it's tough and it's unfortunate but you know we'll see what happens what, what can we do we just got to deal with it and hopefully one day when someone is if they're listening to this we've we've come out of it you know it's, Indeed. it's pretty crazy it, it, it's but yeah there's nothing i can really add to it it's just it's unfortunate and i think with the health stuff you know i, I hope it's gonna get better there's no guarantee with everything else. I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Matter of fact, I think it's it's gone way too far to fix at this point. But that's again, that's going to sound negative or ignorant or something else. That's just that's just my belief. There's that there's that song video killed the radio star where, where, where they say something mm -hmm. like we've gone too far. We can't turn back or something like that. I think as far as, you know, people getting along politically, being on different ends of the fences and people getting along from racial race relations i think they've they've already hit their high notes and everything's going to actually get worse but we'll see wow wow that, that very wow very very interesting so geez uh so well dave so once again i'm going to ask the question for the listeners to remind them you know how do you think the current tension in our country will influence the horror films that will be coming out in the near future and what do you think these upcoming films will look like so dave z what's what's your take on that what do you think we're about what, what do you think the horror genre is about to give us given the climate of the world right now I'm equally excited and kind of concerned about it for because I think the two things we're going to get the most. Number one, I'll start with the no. I, I always every time someone says good news and bad news, I want the bad first because then I don't like to come. Okay, up. <laughs> I, like to, I like to think positively. So I'm going to go with the bad first. The bad is this, and this is coming from me, much like you, sir, who consider yourself a centrist. That's, mm -hmm. that's kind Indeed. of me. So I don't want to have anything hammered down my throat from either side the extreme at all however because of everything is going on now and because most people involved in the arts fans of it and, and, and filmmakers in general are left-leaning and because their voice is so loud right now i fear that we are going to get a lot of propaganda type very strong left-leaning things in our films where it's going to be over the top with the commentary just too far because I, honestly, the way I feel now, every 
I consider both sides extremists. They're, the average guy walking around that talks about it, that's vocal about it, seems to be an extremist. And it's unfortunate. It didn't used to be that way. But everybody's so steadfast in their opinions that they, they're almost doing things just to oppose the other side. It's almost like they want failure just to prove their point, which is a sick way yeah. to think. But I, I really do think people say, I want, I hope that people get sick or I hope that things crash because at the, at the end of the day, it's going to prove that my team was right. And that's just like, what kind of thinking is that? But anyway, I didn't mean to, that's more than I wanted to say. But I, I do fear <laughs> because I know I listen to a lot of podcasts. I talk to a lot of people. I see people online and people that are involved in the horror genre and all, all arts. There's a lot of liberals, which is fine. But I yeah, think yeah. that it's going to be extremely, it's going to be really preachy because of everything going on now. We're going to see, and I do like social commentary in my film, but I don't want it to be every other film I watch. And I fear that that's going to be the negative that's going to come out, come out of it. And I loved it when Romero did it, and I loved the early days of it. I how I even loved that freaking thing on uh, what the hell was that? Masters of Horror, when the guy and the soldiers were coming back from the dead to cast their votes to to get Bush out at the time. I was okay with all that because I I'm not <laughs> yeah. into war myself. So I mean, so I, I I you know you put a gun to my head. I am more left leaning. Oh, so am I. Typically, I have been throughout my life. Uh, not not so much now because of what I see is happening, but I mean, just in general. So I I do like it, and you know, and I smirk, and I, and I love when there is social commentary. But I, I like I said, I'm repeating myself, but I fear we're going to see a whole lot of it, and it's going to get tired for a lot of people really quick. That's the negative. Now let me go on the other side here and say I am excited because I think, and I'm stealing this thought from either Brandon or Christian because somebody asked us a similar question. On exploding heads and oh nice about yeah about things happening now and what the future is going to and they brought it up i can't even take credit for it one of them said it i want to say it was brandon i hope it was either way they said that they think that because people have so much downtime right now and there's so much going on in the world that you can analyze and everything else that they see a lot of smart horror films coming out as a result people are going to be putting pen to paper so to speak they're at home they have more time to kill they can develop some amazing plots, take a look at what's happening around us, and we're going to see a lot more of these. They don't have to be, you know, artsy from a visual standpoint, but we're going to see those, and I don't want to use the term because people don't like, but more elevated horror. We're going to see more stuff that, that's written well, that has stuff to say. And again, not, not the political side of it, just, just in general, people having more time on their hands to find things to write. And thought-provoking things that don't have to be politically motivated, just, you know, motivated just as a human being looking at the state of the world. So I think we're going to get a lot of good stuff like that. We're not going to get as much goofy stuff. And there's going to there's gonna be more thinking man's horror, which is just fine with me. So, wow. Hope that doesn't sound contradictory. Does that sound contradictory that I want to see thinking man's horror, but I don't want to necessarily see, you know, <laughs> left or right thinking man's horror? You know what I mean? I don't know. No, that that makes perfect sense to me because I'm I'm the same way where all my and it's so strange all my friends who fall left of me think I'm this like Republican all my right leaning friends think I'm this hippie which I'm not a freaking hippie, hippie at all but think I am I'm a this, hippie like, that's you know, the this, fun part this, oh you, you are yeah you what? are no but they think I'm this left you know far extreme leftist I'm like what wow you guys have very interesting views of yourself and me as a centrist I, I I'm kind of whatever they want me to be maybe they are for me too I I don't know but 
Uh, it, it isn't because when you have social commentary in your films and you can take the time to really get at the heart of the hard questions that both the right and the left need to ask, then it becomes a human issue rather than a liberal issue or a conservative issue. And I'm curious about those narratives most of all. And I think that's what that's what made Romero so su- successful at his commentaries because he was showcasing human and universal problems that anybody can look at and relate to and see themselves in. And it's 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 very interesting. And that that brings us face to face with who we are rather than put keeping the other at arm's length. And so I'm going to have some stuff to say about that in a minute. But I, I kind of want to go off what you said about sort of the lighter hearted films. I think the low-hanging fruit here is most definitely, a surprise, infection narratives and maybe some sort of, you know, zombies and virus-driven threats. We've already seen some quick and dirty schlock pop up with the Full Moon Features production Corona Zombies 2020, which, Dave Z, it currently stands at a 2.7 on IMDb. Old Charlie Band uh, making films that are ripped straight out of the headlines. How about that? And Dave Z, I'm going to ask you something. On a scale from 1 to 10... How likely are you to see Corona zombies? Negative. No chance. (laughs) I'm not even going to say zero. It's it's negative zero. You would have to literally (laughs) tie me up and and say, I'm going to shoot, you know, blow your head out, your brains out of your skull. uh, And then I'd watch it. But I mean, I wouldn't be happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, same here, my friend. So, you know, we'll certainly get our fair share of cheap and cheesy, low budget flicks that are kind of opportunistic and taking advantage of what's going on. But the, I think the more serious filmmakers will be attempting to give us relevant illustrations of the times, very political, like you just said, Dave Z, one side or the other, more, more left most likely because they tend to to represent themselves in the arts better. But we're going to see, either way, horror narratives set against the backdrop of, say, an ineffectual government or an oppressive military or police force. I think that's a good start. We'll be seeing race figure more into many of these storylines. I'm sure there are some good horror movies that can and will be made that will elect to take this loud and brazen look at our current troubles so that we viewers can see our plight reflected there on screen. We'll be seeing a lot of that, but the truly brilliant films won't need to be so obviously loud and they won't need to so obviously mirror our daily lives with the pandemic, the riots, and our ever-growing lack of union and harmony. These things are merely symptoms of the issues that lie at the root of the problem. And the filmmakers who use their art to mine out what's there at that hemorrhaging heart, the filmmakers who manage to tap right into the core of our nationwide division, these are the artists who will give us the best stories, Like, like kind of like Brandon was alluding to, I believe, on your show. Look, after the events of September 11, 2001, when terrorist attacks claimed the lives of nearly 3,000 Americans, we rallied around that tragedy as a nation and came together, however temporarily, in order to get through our collective grief. Well, 19 years later, as we're watching the pandemic claim the lives of well over 100,000 Americans and counting, we've never been so divided. Hell, maybe we were more divided than we'd like to recall back in 2001, but social media has amplified our voices in ways that simply weren't possible back then, and it feels like we're all going deaf from all the shouting. And now, shoot, enter the murder of George Floyd, enter the riots, enter the opportunistic looters, and enter our deepening anger and hopelessness. It's a strange time to be alive, my friends. So two things lie at the epicenter of this discordance that we're living. And if filmmakers plug these two themes into their films, the story can be anything. It doesn't have to be big and grandiose and societal. It doesn't have to be governmental. It can be close 
and intimate. These films need only allow the spirit of these two themes I'm about to say to possess their story, to inhabit that shell, and we'll feel it, folks. We'll know. So the first of these two deep-seated issues that underlie all the chaos we're seeing is mistrust. We don't trust one another. We've drawn our party lines in the sand. We've fostered the groupthink that validates us and vilifies the other. And all of this long before SARS-CoV-2 came into our lives, long before George Floyd's death and the fire that sparked from that, when the pandemic hit us, when we all watched as a country officers of the law abuse their power and take the life of an unarmed man, we should have rallied around these things like we did with September 11th, but instead we retreated to our corners of this societal boxing ring and came out swinging when the bell rang. We failed at coming together because we simply do not trust one another. If we had that trust in our fellow human beings, the landscape of 2020 would be vastly different, now wouldn't it? Now the second of these two underlying foundational problems along with mistrust is our lack of connection with one another. You know, human beings naturally form in groups of various kinds. These can be oriented by gender, race, faith, uh, where you live, political parties, anything. And that's not a bad thing whatsoever. We behaved in this intra-connected way. That's the word there. Intra-connected way as a young species in order to ensure our survival. But now here we are in the 21st century and we're struggling to interconnect with other in-groups. It's a sad reality, this lack of connection. If we all had that trust in one another, if we all had that true connection, there wouldn't be members of society who feel like their lives don't matter. We wouldn't have police officers abusing their power. We wouldn't have heartless and impotent politicians. We wouldn't look at our government with such apprehension. None of the things we're seeing play out in our daily lives would be the same if the problems of mistrust and lack of connection were solved. And so I posit that a filmmaker can take these two things and imbue their script with them. Imagine, I'm going to spitball here, an intimate haunted house narrative where a broken and fractured family struggles to keep their connection with one another as they're being torn apart and set against one another by way of, you know, oppressive outside demonic forces. Now, <laughs> I actually might have just described Hereditary 2018 right there, but y'all know what the hell I'm talking about right here. I'm, I'm spitballing. Give me a break. But these are the types of films that I think will be coming from these times. I'm sure we'll get our fair share of horror comedies, and I welcome those too because I, I love to laugh. But I wonder if we're in for a wave of dark and nihilistic thinking man stories, as you said, Dave Z, full of uncertainty and apathy where loved ones stand against one another, where the people meant to keep us safe simply can't or else they won't, where the sense of self is compromised. And, you know, that would be fitting, would it not? I mean, shoot, Dave Z, am I making any sense, my friend? Absolutely. And, and when you were talking about, you know, hereditary, I was actually formulating in my head Night of the Living Dead was what where I thought you were going with it by the description. Oh, and it, that uh -huh. got me on a, on a chain of a domino. I'm thinking maybe now we'll see, because like you said, zombie infected maybe now we can see movies zombie slash infected movies actually being more like romero's now maybe we'll see more of that i mean we we get a little bit of it in some modern movies we have seen you know some politically charged conscious th things to say in some some of these movies but maybe somebody can come out and make make something more like like night and dawn and day because we're ripe for it. I mean, look at what's happening. We have infected yeah. people and we have people on the inside. Literally, that, that's day of the dead. That's night too, honestly. The, the arguments that happen yeah. in night and the arguments that happen in day, 
you could totally see that being relevant now. These people want to test them in, in day, and these people just want to kill them and, and their arguments, and then everything that's happening at night with barricading themselves, and you're going to be on your own. We're not going to help you. You're coming down here. Everything going on between those characters. Isn't it odd that we don't... I know people say, you know, there's certain things that you just can't do again. You know, like you can't do a Jaws, you can't do an Exorcist, and you can't do a, a Romero dead film. But I don't know. I think you if you, if you sit down and write, I, I don't see why... Somebody can't be intelligent enough to look at what's happening now and write about strife going on to people trapped inside because they've been thrown together because of the outside threat. Yeah. I'd like to see more of that. I think now's the time. We do see it a little. I'm not going to say we never see it, but I can't recall, and I've seen some good ones. Even the uh, Blood Quantum from this year, you know, had some things to say, but it's not as good as a Romero. Yes, there are great kills. That's the thing. You had you had the... Uh, the look of the zombies, and not even the look, because you know you could even say that some of the zombies in Night and Day didn't look look the greatest. But good gore, good makeup effects, and and intelligent writing mixed into an infected zombie film. I want to see a ten out of ten again. I want to see a freaking something yes. on that caliber. Maybe now we can get it. Yeah, maybe now. I love what you yeah what what you said. You know that you gleaned from Brandon or Christian, whichever said it. That you know with. Things the way they are, people are, you know, may have a little more time to think and be able to put these types of scripts out. And, you know, I, my mind keeps going to demonic possession and family. It's very strange that this is what's kind of what these times are inspiring in me. I think it's because part of the fascinating thing about right now, especially when you go political. Now, as a centrist, I'm going to bash both parties right now. And I, yes. you know, here's the deal. We had a guy in 2016 kick down the door of the GOP and take over. He wasn't one of them. He took over, and the, the one thing that the Republicans are amazing at is they rally around their guy. They know how to do it. That's what they do, and they're good at it, and they did. He took over that party like it was no thing. And here's the deal, though. On the left, they were busy cannibalizing themselves to the point where they were showing us that they really don't want change either. And so here we have, you know, this election year, we've got this imposter on one side, we've got this guy in cognitive decline on the other side. That's the best they could come up with to deal with this guy. Really? You want everybody in the middle who you count on for your votes to to be impressed by this system and what you've given us? Really? Is this what you want? And so if you take that sort of frustration a lot of people have with the two-party political system and you take that to family, what if you have a father who isn't who you think he is and a mother who's fading or either or you have a sense of of your authorities, your mom and dad not being able to protect you, maybe quite the opposite, or maybe it's because of psychosis or psychopathy or demon possessions or some sort of outside influences, the breaking a family apart and showing us sort of within the framework of a nuclear family, what we're seeing on a large scale in the country. And you could have different storylines play out with the siblings, maybe something outside competing with something inside. You can take movies, take basic monster premises, zombies, demonic possession, this is and that's ghosts, anything that allows for mistrust and lack of connection to inhabit that shell of a script and then bloom when it possesses it, I think we'll be seeing some very smart films. And I, I'm not trying to get on a political kick here and I'm not trying to alienate anybody. I feel like anybody, you know, I, I just bash both parties. So maybe everybody will, you know, can laugh at somebody there or maybe, you know, it's just, you know, a lot of people don't like centrist either. Well, <laughs> in any case, I think we'll be seeing some thinking person films that can definitely put us face to face with ourselves and hopefully we can see ourselves in the other as well. That is what, that's my hope. That's where, you know, you talk about ending on the good news, Dave Z. 
And that's what I want to see. I want to be able to see myself in the other and go, okay, there's some more things to work on, some more dialogue that needs to be had. And if you can have scripts that can push this, that's going to beat the shit, the ever living fuck out of a leftist or a rightist agenda. It's a human agenda. And man, that's what we need right now because there's a lot going on that a lot of difficult questions we've got to ask, a lot of difficult conversations that need to be had. And if you can put that in a horror movie, man, whew, it's going to be, it's going to be amazing, dude. Boy, that's a great idea. How, how about some tolerance? And how about yeah. humankind? You know what I mean? 100%. Now, yeah. I agree with everything you said. I just, I hope they can do it, you know, that more people are, are more tolerant of each other. Just, just put out subject matter that, you know what, if you're woke, <laughs> you can look and you can see what they're trying to say without making it so in your face. Sure. You can do that. So hopefully people can do it with a little bit of tact. Do it, you know, put it out there. Let's do something positive for people and say, hey, we're going to put something out there. And yeah, we might slip in a little message. That's fine. You say what you want to say, but, you know, maybe not go so hardcore into your message like that. What do you call it? You know, back to that freaking Black Christmas, which I didn't see, but yeah, that's the fear. But like, you know, again, tolerance, I think, is important. Hopefully we get more of it and hopefully we get more films about humankind because it's like we are one race and stop trying to speak for other races. Listen mm. to them. Listen mm -hmm. to the other races because they're not as uptight as you as some people are making them out to be. Yeah, well, well Dave Z, hold on, S stop. What what would you even know about that? It's not like you're married to a black woman and have a black daughter. What do you What do you even know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Well said, buddy. And you know, uh, all I can say is that the best thing we can do, my friends, is be as patient, understanding as we can. Now more than ever, I know most of us are on are on edge, and the reactionary thing to do is to lash out or get emotional. But I would just urge you wonderful party people to take the highest road you can and be as compassionate as you can, even when it hurts. And and look, listen, let me just be transparent here. I'm not above reproach here. I'm guilty lately of not being as patient as I typically am and as I would like to be. And these are things that, you know, we're, we're all working on that virtue so that compassion and understanding comes of that. All right, Dave Z, my friend, I'm spent. Uh, dude, I'm ready to jump into showtime, get that ball rolling. What do you think, man? Oh, uh, yes, it, it, I'm absolutely <laughs> ready. Let's do this. All right. Heck yeah. Well, all right, folks, that concludes our horror deep dive segment, which brings act two of this horror show to a close. It is now time for the Wet Z Party Horror Show Showtime segment to commence. My friends, we're here in the third act of the party, and it's showtime. This is the film review portion of the episode, and this episode's feature review is of Antichrist 2009. If you're a first-time listener, here's how we conduct these reviews. We'll begin with a synopsis of the film, give you some quick film setup, and then we'll give you all our likes, our dislikes, and finally we'll conclude with our final thoughts and ratings of the film. Now, we keep it absolutely spoiler-free in this section of the show, so if you have not yet seen this film, you are free to keep on listening so as to determine whether or not it's for you. Synopsis time, folks. Don't mind if I do. A grieving couple retreat to their cabin in the woods, hoping to repair their broken hearts and troubled marriage, but nature takes its course and things go from bad to worse. So, okay, folks, the film opens with, and Dave Z, back me up here, with one of the most 
cinematically gorgeous scenes I've ever watched in which our two unnamed leads, played by Willem Dafoe and Charlotte Gainsbourg, are engaged in the primal act of lovemaking. Now, during their role in the hay, as it were, their toddler son falls to his death out of an upper story window. Now, from here, Willem Dafoe's character makes it his mission as a therapist to heal his wife's atypical grief. So the two of them travel to their private cabin in the woods that they've aptly named Eden, where they struggle to cope with their loss in dramatically different ways. The longer they remain alone together, though, the more we begin to see things escalating to a breaking point that no viewer of this film can ever scrub from their memories. So that is film setup. Dave Z, kick us off with your first like, sir. Okay, well, it's funny that you should mention that particular scene because my first like is just one word, prologue. And yes, wow. I'll tell you this. My recollection of this movie, this is only the second time I've seen it. So... Why I Same. thought it, I, okay. Why I thought it was disturbing is because the two things stuck with me. Number one, this prologue, which is one of the most beautiful things I've seen shot on film, and one of the saddest things I've seen shot on film. It, it, I always remembered that. I remembered everything about it. I remembered the song. I remembered that it was black and white. I remembered seeing f <laughs> full frontal, male and female. I remember seeing yep. everything that happened. It stuck with me. That stuck with me. And one act in particular later on involving a member of the body and blood coming out of it were the two oh. things that stuck with me of this film. Everything else, it was a vague recollection. So th that's the story about me in this movie and why I wanted to discuss it because I was so disturbed by what happened later. It was unforgettable for one reason. And this scene here was unforgettable for an entirely different reason, but wow. Everything about their prologue, the way it's done, you said it. It is cinematically freaking exquisite. And then ultimately, just, oh, so heartbreaking. No, indeed. Their prologue is, is everything, man. Yeah, it really is. So let me ask you something, Dave Z, because folks, this is our extreme horror selection. Would you say that this film goes into extreme film territory? Because I would say it does. I would say it does too, because even after the scene I talk about more and more hot, no, more and more happens. I just don't think a lot of people, when they think about extreme horror, are thinking about this. And Good point. I agree. I'll tell you what happened. I, I didn't want to, when we were coming up with our selections, because I had them all pre-selected for when the wheel spins, I have it, you know, ready to go. So when I yep. was trying to come up with my selections, I was, I didn't want to go, you know, typical. I didn't want to say a Serbian film or martyrs or something. The, the, it's been done before and, and they've been talked yeah. to death so what I did was I went on lists I, you know I googled things top 10 disturbing horror film disturbing horror films and I was looking at a whole bunch of lists and it was always the same things that I expected Salo and, and Serbian film and all the stuff which yeah. listen some of them are great some maybe I, I'm a fan of some maybe I'm not but th it's kind of like what you were expecting and I didn't want to do something that you're expecting and then I see Antichrist was on one of those lists and I said, boom, that's it. Now I have a reason to rewatch this movie. And I do remember being disturbed by that scene in particular. So let's see what's going on in this movie. So that's why it's here. Excellent. Cool. Well, I'm glad this got selected. Uh, so shoot, you know what? Here's the thing. My first like builds right off of yours, man. Uh, and it has everything to do with the technical merits of the movie. Say what you will about how crazy infamous writer, director Lars von Trier might be. 
The man is a genius when it comes to filmmaking. The House That Jack Built 2018 and Melancholia 2011 are bona fide 10 out of 10s in my book, and I don't think I've seen a movie made after the year 2000 since he did Dancer in the Dark that isn't brilliant in its own way. Such is definitely the case here with Antichrist. These are, there, there, there are movies, and then there are films. This is a film. Yeah. The cinematography is breathtaking. That, like you said, I can't say any more than you did about that opening, that prologue. It's award-worthy is all I can say. The way that part of the film and the rest of it uses color and various frame rates throughout to capture a given scene. Like these aren't filmmakers here who don't know what they're doing behind the camera. This isn't amateur hour. Much like the Watsy Party Horror Show here, you're dealing with professionals doing what the f they do best, and whether or not this film's art house approaches up your alley, if you have a passing interest in the elements that make a film proficient on a technical level, you'll have plenty here to study and dissect. So yeah, that, that's, that's what I say about that. Dave Z, give us your next like, my friend. So interesting once again, because as usual, I did, I did the standard three. Uh, I have three likes. My number two like is actually filmmaking style. That's what it says. Ooh. Uh, so I'm just saying what you're saying. It's just uh, the way this movie is shot, the storytelling of it, everything that, that goes on here from a technical level, it's so good. Like for me, Von Trier, I've seen Dancer in the Dark. I've seen this mm -hmm. and, and I've seen uh, House of Jack Bill. The, the, those are the only ones I've seen. And, and okay. those are the three you mentioned. I, I have not seen Melancholia. I, 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 oh. Of course, why do I not want to see more of his stuff when I've rated everything so high and I've, I've loved everything yeah. he's done so far? I absolutely have been wanting to see uh, Nymphomaniac for a very oh, long dude. time because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with, with, uh, with Mia Goth and I know she's in there. So that's not the only yes, she reason. Is. So, uh, but, <laughs> but still, it's one more perk. So I do want to see it. But, but seeing this, I didn't take in. Again, like I said, my recollection of this movie was the beginning and, and what I said, like, what, what comes later. Of course, I had to imagine that it was Art House because I've seen other stuff he's done. But yes, I, my recall was not that specifically. So now going back in and seeing this, I was just blown away. I hope if you guys do another opera, opera Omnia thing that you take mm -hmm. Von Trier and, and you do oh. him as a director because I, I would actually even join you for that if I could. Because I, oh, I want to go through this guy's catalog because... Wow, I'm I, three for three. Let me tell Duncan that you said that while well, he listens to the show anyway. Yeah, I'm sure he'll be thrilled because I think he was planning on maybe doing a Lynch thing after, you know, because when, when my time on Opera Omnia ends and another co-host takes the, the reins, he was thinking in a few seasons, you know, maybe a couple years down the line doing a David Lynch. But I am going to suggest here and now and agree with you that Von Trier might be the way to go. So just throwing that out to you, Duncan, because, yeah, I'm sure he'll have a lot to say. I know you would. I, I know I do. I, I'm so happy to hear you say this because I don't know your feelings on Von Trier. And I feel like it's almost kind of the point where if you say you like him and his work, you almost get the third degree from people who don't like who he is as a person and maybe deliberately misunderstand him because he's a complicated guy who's he's messed up, but who isn't? Listen, I've heard some of the things he said. And I think his style is so out there that he is kind of misunderstood. But this is what I mm -hmm. said on Exploding Heads when we were talking about the house that Jack built. Because Brandon is a big fan of that movie. And he likes a lot yeah. of Von Trier's movies. And we, we talked about Dancer in the Dark. I never even knew about that movie until it was picked for us to watch. So that's how I came to see that movie. And then I loved it because I yeah. love Bjork too and everything else about that movie. Yes. But anyway, great, great stuff. But Brandon said this himself. He supposedly had this German, this Nazi. Brandon is, 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 is Jewish. <laughs> He 
says, I don't necessarily agree with everything he says, but he, I don't, I think what he said on the show was he, he goes, I don't necessarily take him seriously either. I don't think that he is what sure. he's been made out to me, made out to be. And what I said was this, if he really was this terrible man, would he really get the same actors to come back again and again to be in his movies? Unless, yep. unless they're all terrible people, unless, you know, because uh, <laughs> look at all the people that he, he gets some stars in his movies. So oh, honestly, I don't know. I, I just don't buy it. And it's because of that. And if you watch House That Jack Built, I think a lot of that, he kind of pulled on Argeno where what he was saying in that movie was a statement on what critics have said about him. Exactly. Oh, I okay. Cool. My synop my synapses are firing right now. We can't talk about House That Jack Built right now. Fair. Or this will turn into a whole <laughs> different show, Dave Z. Right on. Okay. <laughs> no, nice. no, I'm right there with you though, and I agree completely with your assessment of that movie. And I am I'm happy to hear what I'm hearing from you so far with, with our likes. And so did you have anything more to say on the style? No, I mean I, I love I love the trippy stuff that he throws in there as always. Mm-hmm. Certain scenes I could sit here and highlight, but I won't. I just, I'm, I'm just a big fan of the way he does it. I love it, man. Well, my next like is going to, <laughs> it might be your third like, so you might be going off this, but I, I don't know what's in store. But my second like here is all about the film's emotional and violent extremities. So, like I said, this is our extreme horror episode, as selected by the Watsy Roulette Wheel and our coin toss segment on episode 13 of the show. And look, man, while Antichrist would not have necessarily crossed my mind to pick for the extreme horror category, I'm glad it crossed yours, and I'm happy to hear how you came to select this movie. And look, I mean, the thing is, because one of the reasons, not the most popular, mind you, but one of the reasons this film has the controversial reputation that it does has to do with how hard this movie is on the viewer. The most effective films that are known to be extreme in nature do so not just by depicting graphic violence, but also by engaging the audience emotionally. If you are invested in the characters or the situation, then the horror will have a greater impact. Well, this film spends three quarters of its hour and 48 minute runtime establishing the inner workings of our characters and building up the dread until in the last half hour, this drama goes full on horror in some of the absolute worst ways possible. There aren't, <laughs> Dave Z, there aren't very many folks, very many movies that make me want to actually look away from the screen, but there are some violent acts that take place here and you can't ever unsee them, two in particular. Dave and I will almost certainly be talking about these things in the after party, but if you haven't seen this movie yet, you'll first want to be sure you're in the right headspace for an art house film that preys on the emotions from the get-go. Scene one, your emotions are going to be victimized. And then from there, you'll also want to ask yourself, am I ready to see this type of violence, you know, of this particular nature? And what nature is that, you ask? Well, we're, I'm not, we're not going to spoil that, obviously, in Showtime. But suffice it to say that the violence is uniquely tied to sexuality. And literally everyone listening to this who has seen this movie is saying, yeah, you think? <laughs> now, to be clear, there's no sexual assault. <laughs> yeah, right? No sexual assault nor rape in this movie. That's not what I mean by sexual violence here. So just keep that in your mind. Now, one of the other extremities this story embraces is its explicit eroticism, which might not even be the right word. But because of the oppressive spirit of the film, the sex is never titillating. It's nothing but a means to a disgustingly bloody end. And in that way, the sexually charged violence makes perfect sense in the scheme of this movie. Dave Z, what do you think of that, man? Ah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. I, I say that way too much, but th th the fact of the matter is, that's all I can say half the time when we go through our likes and dislikes. That I, I, I line up with what you're saying so frequently 
that I, you you go on your thing and a lot of times I'm like okay this is my response and then what happens is this I keep listening to what you're saying because I'm engaged and by the time we get to the end and you say what I think about your thoughts all I know is that I agreed with them <laughs> that's me just well just, they, just they, they, I love it <laughs> that's me being real folks <laughs> oh, but yeah. awesome awesome well what what have you got for uh, your your next dislike my friend or uh, dislike excuse me what have you got for your next like my friend my next like well before i say that yes i'm well, going don't. to agree with you and i am going to add to that it is extreme it is more so than i thought and i did not remember like i said earlier but seeing everything that happens now and and seeing what what happens to certain parts of our bodies and Ooh. that we can all relate oh. to and how intimate we are with that and some of the things that go down here that I haven't seen in any other movie, yeah, you're not going to forget that anytime soon. So I recollect, I had to recollect my thoughts. But yeah, that, that's my response to that. And now my number three is this. Quite simple. The characters and the performances and how believable they both were. It's just two people here. Mm -hmm. And the characters are written to me so well. I love when a movie, I love when I watch a movie and I see characters and I say, they are believable. That is what I think about, about about humankind, our pros and our cons, and the way we react to things. I believe that this is how this is going to play out. People going through grief, this person here happening to be a psychiatrist and everything else, and wanting to do what you think is best uh, on both sides. And then when we go into the horror realm and everything that happens over there, that's a whole other thing. And then you don't know what goes. But I'm... but. The characters are so believable in their motivations, and I've seen this, and I, I can't get into too much, but what I'm saying is I've been involved in, in personal conflicts with people, and I've seen the way they react, and I'm like, yeah, that, that's how it goes. So the characters, very believable, and the performances by these two. I've come to the conclusion that uh, Willem Dafoe may be my favorite actor. Dave Z, I want to thank you for saying that because he he is I have like three actors who are like my I consider my favorite actor mm -hmm. and it's it's Willem Dafoe, Vincent D'Onofrio, and this one might floor some people, Tom Cruise. Those are wow. like my my number one. They are my number one. And yes, I love Willem Dafoe. Boy, and I, I've always I've always really loved him. But watching this movie today and actually pretty recently for summer series, I had to watch Shadow of the Vampire. Are you familiar with that one? Oh. My goodness, what a movie. Dude, he was so good that I didn't know it was him. I was watching the movie, and I say this oh. in the summer series, but I'm like, <laughs> where the hell is Defoe? I'm saying, where is he? I'm waiting for him to be on my screen because I love the guy, and I don't know where he is. Yeah. And then later on, halfway to the movie, I look, and I go, what? That's him? I, so what does that tell you? I mean, <laughs> so yeah, he is great. Oh, that delights my heart. You know, <laughs> they're both great, but I mean, I'm such a fan of him. The bottom line is the... The performances are top-notch, and the characters are, are, are very believable for me, so that's my number three. Yes, man. Von Trier knows how to get award-worthy performances out of his actors. It is it is amazing. And if you liked Charlotte Gainsbourg in this, she frequents uh, a lot of his films from here on out. I do believe she has. She is in Melancholia and then in both the Nymphomaniacs, and she is she's wonderful. Like, I, man. And I, I can only echo your sentiments there because the performances here are just, I mean, they, they are what they are and what they are is stellar. So my, my final and my, this is my most significant like here has to do with <laughs> how this film 
makes my head want to explode when I try to dissect it. <laughs> You're going to have an exploding head on this podcast too, folks. This is the first film we featured on the show. Cabin in the Woods rivals it, but that has me in this positively flustered and bewildered state. Like, I'll admit it. When it came time to start writing up notes for this, I had no clue where to start. There are a number of academic writings on this film, many of which I read to see, okay, is, is this going to enlighten me? Is this, but alas, my party peeps, even as we record now, I suspect that I would need a few more viewings of this film and direct access to Von Trier himself sitting next to me on the couch to fully understand what he was going for with this movie. All you need to do is read a handful of reviews of Antichrist. Hell, you can even restrict yourself. How about this? Just, just limit yourself to the more lofty academic and pseudo-academic critiques that I mentioned, and you'll quickly see how riled up people have gotten over this film. Von Trier is a lightning rod for controversy. If you hear his name and you think, oh, that's that insane director from Denmark, then you're picking up what I'm putting down here. Some people have said that Antichrist is art house torture porn trash with no point. Some people label it as misogynistic and downright hateful toward women. Some find it to be a convoluted fever dream full of nonsense. Some call it a masterpiece. So which is it? So, so okay, the first thing to realize here, if indeed there is any, any starting point worth considering, is that Von Trier began writing this script during his hospitalization for depression in, I believe it was 2006 or 2007. And he's quoted as saying that writing Antichrist was a fun way for him to work through his debilitating depression. So I got a quote right here from him that further elaborates upon these points. He says, I invite you for a tiny glimpse behind the curtain, a glimpse into the dark world of my imagination, into the nature of my fears, into the nature of Antichrist. I suffered from depression. I couldn't work. Six months later, just as an exercise, I wrote a script, a kind of therapy. I did not follow my usual modus operandi. Scenes were added for no reason. Images were composed free of logic or dramatic thinking. They often came from my dreams I was having, or dreams I'd had earlier. In any case, I can offer no excuse for Antichrist. So knowing this, it's immediately apparent that parts of this film are meant to convey dark emotions, though almost certainly at the expense of story logic, which won't bode well with many viewers. There's no way around that fact except through it, okay? It is what it is. That said, to say that the entirety of the film is just a diuretic outpouring of Von Trier's innermost turmoil and that none of it has any further substance, that's as incorrect as saying that this is a misogynistic movie, which happens to be a wildly popular critique, and I will get into that more in the after party, but if you know a single thing about self-loathing and about how there are far too many instances where that kind of self-hatred informs your identity, even to the point where you implicitly come to despise your own race gender, sexual orientation, and so on just because of how much you despise yourself, then you'll see how the gendered content in this movie comes from a place of understanding, not misogyny. And I realize that's vague, but I fully believe this film's perceived anti-woman sentiments come from people who experience an incomplete reading of what's actually going on between our two central characters. It's easy to see the man, that's his name, played by Willem Dafoe, as cold, clinical, and controlling. Typical man, right? It's even easier, though, to see the woman, played by Charlotte Gainsbourg, as given to a type of regressive hysteria. Typical man trying to write a typical female character and getting it wrong, right? Well, you can read the characters and thus the whole of the film through that lens, but I think you have to make some conscious omissions of a fair amount of deliberate story nuances to allow such a reading to persist. And maybe that's difficult to hear for people who enjoy cognitive dissonance, but I think it's justified. I do not think this is an anti-woman film, and I've got some 
motherfucking backup from some smart lady academics who agree with old Mr. Watson about this. You don't need to listen to a partially white dude to <laughs> Dave Z to call back to some stuff that might not make it into the show from the deep dive, but to arrive at these conclusions. So here's where I'm, here I'm going to back myself up here. Cite my sources. The Guardian out of the UK, of course. Dave Z, they did an amazing thing when they wrote up their piece on this film back in 09. Naturally, I'll include a link to this article in the episode's show notes, but the primary author of the piece pulled together a number of female artists and academics in order to highlight their individual interpretations of the movie. Now, it's a terrific read, man, that provides a diverse cross-sample of really smart viewers whose take on the film ranged from just vitriolic hatred to absolute awe. My favorite passage from this article comes from a history professor named Joanna Burke, who wrote the following, and here we go. The violence is defiantly excessive and beautiful. It is gendered, but more misanthropic than misogynistic. The man's violence is the heartless of rationality. In contrast, the woman embraces the mysterious, uncanny energies of the unconscious and unknowable elemental forces. Her violence against the man and her own body is unbounded but it is not designer violence intended to appall and titillate in the same breath. Neither does it inspire compassion. Von Trier simply presents cruelty as there, serving no liberating function for the audience. Pain, its infliction, and its suffering is integral to life. Holy sh**. Well, said Ms. Burke, that is how it's done. So, look, okay, I feel like I've only scratched the surface of what appeals to me thematically here, and I'm guessing, we're going to, I'm not, I almost said, I'm guessing we're going to get deeper in the, no, we're going to get deeper in the after party, so I'm going to conclude my like right here and now by saying that for viewers who take pleasure in unpacking films to see what lies beneath, you are in for a special treat here with Antichrist. So, Dave, you know, before we move on to dislikes, have you anything to say about my dissertation there? <laughs> I gotta tell you, my interpretation of the, of the, of the movie is, is nothing that has to do with any of that stuff. It has to do with this is kind of how a, a lot of people are. Maybe primarily men, and maybe prim primarily women in these in, mm -hmm. in these circumstances. But it's not like oh, isn't that just like a woman, or isn't that just like a man? That's not how I took any of this. But I did take both of their personalities as being maybe more common in in, in the particular genders that they're playing. But I just sure. you know as as human traits. This is just what I see. I never thought of misogyny. I never thought of any of that. My take on this was strictly, you know, the way he was behaving. I understood why, but you know, maybe it's not the way to go. But her, uh, her, her actions can all pretty much be explained to, I feel like I'm doing the neon demon again. That, that's the direction <laughs> I'm going. It's clear as crystal. This is it. I don't know if I'm in, in the spoiler by saying anything, but I'm saying it's a similar thing. They go there, they see the books, the three things arrive, this has happened, and those things ar arise at the end, and it's all for a reason. It, it's been prophesized, and there's evil afoot here. And I don't. I need to know the reason why, but I think I do know the reason why, and that's what I love about it. Again, going into this film, my memory was not there. I did not. I told you what I remembered, and I remember thinking there was one thing I could say. I remember thinking that the the woman was probably crazy, and that's what I remembered. Going mm -hmm. into it now, I'm halfway through the movie. I'm like, well, you know what? Um, the man is not as innocent as my remembering is uh, of anything. Um, there are some things maybe he shouldn't have done. But that's it. I, I was casting some blame on him and some blame on her. But sure. then where it goes and when things are revealed, I think it's all pretty simple. I mean, I, I can't sit here and say I, I understand every every shot, every, every frame of film, the reasons why behind yeah. everything. But I honestly think it's a lot more straightforward than people are making it sound. 
Well, listen, man, I, I absolutely love that you just said that because I've never, even in 2009, when I couldn't have, I, I didn't analyze movies back then. I took everything as face value. I didn't know how to do what I do now. But I'll tell you what, even when I was watching it and I was reading that people were saying it's anti-woman, I can, I can see the seed of that, but you have to overlook a lot a tremendous amount of nuance to keep that reading. So we'll get into that in the after party. Dave Z, uh, have you any dislikes? Uh, I'll go first on this. Um, if you have little patience for Von Trier's self-indulgence, then this film is unwatchable, especially as a horror film. For all intents and purposes coming from someone who rather enjoys Von Trier's methods, this is a drama first and horror comes in a distant second place, which means that you've got to sit through a lot of character drama in order to get to the primary aspects of the film that bring it fully into horror territory. Now, interestingly enough, Von Trier has said the exact same thing about this movie that Nicholas Winding Refn had to say about the Neon Demon 2016, which is that while he initially set out to make a horror film, he feels that he failed at that and that the film became something else entirely. Now, I know this won't make me any friends who love the Neon Demon, even though I'm one of them, folks, but I can see a derailed horror film in the Neon Demon, whereas I don't know if I would say the same with Antichrist. Antichrist resonates much more as a kind of straightforward horror movie than the Neon Demon does simply because they're, you know, just the, the way they both execute the tension in the film. And so, in any case, regardless, I, I can see some folks having an issue with Antichrist's emphasis on drama over horror. And I also, Dave Z, I don't find this film to be very user-friendly, which is deliberate though. And this is kind of the caveat there on Von Trier's part, but that doesn't make it any more or less entertaining to me upon a rewatch. That's just a complaint I know some people have, and I, I can see that. The fact that is that if you're not in an analytical mood, if you're not warmed up and stretched out mentally, there's not much point in watching this. For all its technical, aesthetic, and thematic strengths, it's inaccessible if your aim is simple, casual viewing. So what dislikes have you got, Dave Z? Honestly, I don't have any written down, no. There's, I have nothing in my notes for dislikes. I couldn't come up Ooh. with any. I mean, if I'm going to nitpick any little thing, it's going to be like I said, I can't explain every little thing, and there is a little bit of confusion there, but that's hardly a dislike mm -hmm. because it didn't make me dislike the film in any way as a result. It, did, it, it, it doesn't knock down any points, so to speak. So I, I, don't, I didn't expect to have this type of, of reaction to this movie. I, I, again, I'll say it once more. I, I only remembered what I said that, that I've said so far. So I, when I sat down to watch this movie, my expectations were there wasn't that many of them. But I went into the movie yeah. and I thoroughly enjoyed it and I was not expecting to like it that much. Okay, well, shoot then. Like, I, we're ready, man. Bring us into final thoughts and ratings, sir. Okay, well, I it's a movie that I, I, I feel I'm going to watch again. I want to watch again. I kind of have to watch it again. There's very little negative I could say. I really enjoy the hell out of it. And it's hard to say with a movie like this because there's times when I, I was like literally on the couch going, saying, oh no, oh no, don't do this. Ah, ah, you know, those are my reactions. <laughs> and I'm turning my head away and I'm like, oh boy, oh sh you know, and I'm going through all that. And it, there were parts that were difficult to watch. So it's not a movie that I could say, oh, it's a thrill or anything like that. But I, did I have a good time watching it? I don't know if a good time is the way to describe oh, it, but. <laughs> I enjoyed the viewing, you know what I mean? Uh, d despite that. So I actually come in way higher than I thought I was going to come in. And while I can't go full, I can say 9.5 out of 10. Oh, buddy. I wasn't Ooh. expecting that. Okay. I really wasn't. I figured it was going to be like an 8. You know what I mean? But I, I, Dude, I thoroughly enjoyed it. You've, you've blown me away. You've blown me away. Wow. So, okay. Uh, final thoughts and ratings. Look, Von Trier is using... 
this remote setting that our nameless characters call Eden to craft a what's the word what what a hallucinogenic mythology of sorts that is every bit as grounded as it is surreal it's as academic as it is esoteric it's as natural as it is supernatural it's as male as it is female it's as human as it is inhuman there's a waltz at work here a careful dance that moves in and out of objective reality until the two spaces become one part of this dance is intimate and between our two leads and this is the meat on the bone as it were this movie look it, it, look, it might require more patience than many might be willing to give and i think that's that, okay that's fine there's no more shame in turning away from this movie than there is in embracing its darkness but if you're looking for a character driven philosophical brain teaser of a film that boasts some of the most memorable violence you're likely to see this is the movie for you when i cast aside every single review of this i've ever read over the years when i think about how i responded to this film and its complex imagery on a personal level as somebody who you know has chronic depression i see a sad story about how we human beings have fallen from grace and that there might be no way to go back to eden to rid ourselves of our devils that's my thesis statement, and I'm sticking to it. This is a beautifully shot and thought-provoking film that has more meat on the bone than even its own creator knows. I'll get into that in the after-party, folks. I can't go a full 10, but I'm about as close as you can get. I'm giving this a 9.75 out of 10. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I was not expecting uh -huh. this at all. Yeah, me neither. I, I had no idea where you would come in on this. And look, uh, that'll do it for our spoiler-free review, but it seems that once again, this is this. is I think this is two in a row now where... We've reached over the 19 yes. combined rating. We have a little visitor. Which means we get a little visit from <laughs> a little little young lady who wants to tell us, uh, wants to sing a little song for us. Mercy, would you come on in to the party? And I know you're underage. Everybody, hold your drinks back. Mercy, we'll, we'll sip them. Uh, and don't you dare, young lady. Mercy, tell us what you think. All right, everybody, we just heard from Mercy yes. from The Witch in the clickety-clackety song. So, Dave, were, were you thinking this was going to happen? Because <laughs> I was not. Not at all. <laughs> man, with the Poughkeepsie tapes and now this. Oh, wow, man. This show just continues to amaze me. When we sit down and, and, and the things that happen, really, I can't believe how many times we fall in line on in all these different ways. And, and they're always, like, surprising as can be. Wow. Yeah, you know, honestly, when I was thinking, okay, I know Dave's love art loves art house films, but I wonder if he's going to fully embrace this like something like a neon demon, or if I'm going to be facing you, you know, going, and what the f about this? And how about the f about this? I wasn't sure if I was gonna get that, Dave Z. <laughs> and so I was like, ooh, I, this could go anyway, and I can't wait to to talk with either Dave Z. But man, how about this, folks? So th there we go. We got a 9.5 with Dave Z, a 9.75 from me, and. Folks, that'll do it for a spoiler-free review of Antichrist 2009, thus concluding our Showtime segment, which brings Act 3 of this horror show to a close. Everyone, only one more order of business to attend to before we wrap up everything, and that's where we choose the film we'll be reviewing one month from now on our next, the next of our, well, actually, uh, we're, we're working on the time, the, 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 I guess the time constraints and, and how everything will flow between each Watsy party and each happy hour episode. So we'll let you know. But in, in any case, here in season two of the Watsy party horror show, our film selection has become a two stage process. If you're new to the show or just need a real quick reminder, here's how we do it. Before we choose which film to select, we first got to determine which horror subgenre of film we're dealing with here. 
For this, we'll turn to the Watsy Roulette Wheel. On this episode, it's Dave's turn to spin the wheel, and once he does this, we will see which horror subgenre we'll be fighting over. And after that, Dave and I will pick a film within the chosen subgenre, and here on episode 15, I will be the one to flip our online coin, as we've done since episode 3 of the show, to determine which one of our picks goes to the next main episode. So Dave, are you ready to spin that Watsy Roulette Wheel? I am. Alright, spin it. werewolf well okay werewolf wow all right okay okay folks now that we have our subgenre selected dave and i have chosen our respective films that fall in the werewolf subgenre category and it's up to our coin toss to see if dave's or my film makes it to the next main episode dave i'm gonna flip that coin right now so call it in the air now heads heads oh man (laughs) yeah All right, so what have we got as a werewolf horror movie from you, buddy? Uh, Well, I'll tell you, I had one written down from Jump. But the thing is, I just watched this movie two weeks ago for the summer series. Mm -hmm. And I I think I'm going to abandon it. I think I'm going to go and make a different selection here. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, I had ginger snaps eventually. But Mm -hmm. I think I'm going to blow it off. And there's a reason why I just told you that. But but there was a movie... That somebody selected as their favorite movie of the entire decade when we did it for Exploding Heads. And uh-huh. I remember looking at that selection and saying, this didn't make my list. And I enjoyed the movie when I saw it. But if you, if someone likes it that much, maybe I should watch hmm. it again. And I still have not. So now, because of those two things happening, I'm officially changing my pick. And I am going to go with Late Phases. Late Phases 2014. Hmm. Dave Z? I also won this coin toss then. Really? That was my decision. That was my, I was either going to say late phases. And if by some crazy stroke of bad luck for me, you had already reviewed that, which I didn't think you did because I searched it. Then I was going to say like something like Wolf Cop, but that doesn't have a lot of meat on the bone. So that'd be a hard movie for us to discuss in this format. Late phases was instant. That was what I wrote without even thinking. Wow. Awesome. Well, you know that, that that was Derek B's pick. It was his number one movie. That was of, him of the 2010s. So, wow! I saw that and I'm like, wow, okay. really? <laughs> I go, maybe I'm missing out on something because cool. I remember I liked it. I, I think if I had a rating at the time, I only saw it the one time I own it. But I think it was like in the seven and a half area, something like that. Yeah, I dug it pretty solid. But I'm like, hmm, am I missing something here? Why is he so high on this movie over all the others? So now, again, because I just did Ginger Snap. I, 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 I'm really, I love Ginger Snaps, and I picked it for a reason, but. When I just watched yeah. the movie and took notes on it and talked about it in other podcasts, even though it wasn't a deep dive, you're familiar with the summer series and, you know, we oh, yeah. talk a little bit, but I'm like, you know what? I don't think I want to talk about it again and watch it again. I just watched it. So by proxy, everything works out. And there you go. Ah, wow. Look at that. So folks, we have a synopsis for that. And it's a secluded retirement community is plagued by mysterious and deadly attacks until the grizzled war veteran moves in rallies the residents and discovers a beast is behind the killings. And I must say, he's also blind, and that that is, uh, what, what's uh, Nick Demichi? Yeah, Nick Demichi, yeah. Man, he is, oh gosh, I, I can't wait to discuss this. This was also my pick. So folks, uh, <laughs> look how it all works out. And we, this is all random, everybody. For me to have gotten this pick 
on the show. It all depends on coin toss. So, okay, it went heads, fine. But then for Dave Z to oust Ginger Snaps because of recording with the Summer Series and then picking this movie, it's like, here we go. Once again, it's the party aligning as it tends to do. And hey, you can't fight what the party's doing. So, folks, you can look forward to our coverage of Late Phases 2014 in one month's time or so. However, the time constraints will be on the next of our big three-act shows. All right, Dave Z, before we get into the plugs proper, Dave Z and I have a little bit of an announcement. We are both thrilled to have been invited to join Jay of the Dead on his solo cast considering the cinema, or rather considering horror cinema, the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of movie podcasting, or does it movie podcast? Damn it. Sorry, Jay. That's my professionalism for you. (laughs) Not quite at your level. Sorry, buddy. Very likely by the time you hear this, Jay will already have that out, but who knows? Both he and I, (laughs) we we take our time in the editing process, so we'll we'll see which of us, which beats it. Will will that show already be out? Will you be hearing this announcement first? Who knows how it's going to go? Either way, you will most certainly want to hear Dave Z and me on that show, which we'll be doing tomorrow as of this recording. That's considering the cinema with Jay of the Dead. How you feeling, uh, Dave Z, about joining forces with Sir Jay of the Dead, man? I'm really excited, to be honest with you. I've been listening to Jay for a while, and I love what he brings to the table. I love listening to his stuff. And uh, <laughs> I'm really excited to be talking about, even though I haven't seen the movie, just to, based yes. on what you've said <laughs> and and oh. some others in our group page, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I think this is going to be kind of a an off-the-wall show and it's going to be fun just to, to sit down and do and do something with Jay. And hopefully this leads to, to us working with him more because I feel that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, his style what it, works pretty well with what, what we're doing here on this show. So, Oh, absolutely. No, no, t- totally. Uh, totally agree. So, okay, we're, there are announcements, folks. So there we go. Why don't we take a moment here to give our official plugs, Dave Z? Where can listeners find more of you? Okay, well, I recently recorded the final episode of... Uh, ABC's A Hidden Horror, the letter Z. It is, uh, we wrapped it up as we discussed earlier about Jamie taking her her break and everything else. And that's going to be the end of ABC's for maybe forever, maybe not. Who knows what's going to happen in life. But uh, we just wrapped that one up. So that should be, maybe it's out now. Maybe it's coming shortly, but be on the lookout for that one. That was a, a really good show there. We had a lot of fun and yeah. Wow. Yeah, we talked about all kinds of stuff. So Oh, I can't wait, dude. I, I love that show. I was so glad to get in on that W episode. Like, cause it was Jamie and I had been talking for two years about getting me on. So <laughs> I know it's been a while. Everything about that slow, about that show took, took a, a lot longer than anticipated. <laughs> we, oh, we that's okay. That. It was an event every time one came out and man, I, I couldn't download it fast enough. Oh, awesome. Well, thank you. Well, it, yeah, it, it was a, it was a great run. It was a great run and it's come to an end. So, uh, Guys, check that one out because you won't be hearing any, any more of them for a while, if at all. And of course, Exploding Heads, we're on the, we're on the Patreon. And I, I tell you, a lot of people have been telling us that we've really been on a roll since going on, since going exclusive. So I don't know if it's something about our psyche or or maybe just because we've been enjoying the scene so much. Like I said earlier, it's it's the it's the best thing we ever did, uh, having the it's the group page and the chat and everything else, and just pulling back from the general public and. Whatever it is, I mean, we're we're doing a lot more. We're we're you know we're doing three shows a month every month and at least three movies every show for the most part. And but it just doesn't seem uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like work. It, it, it's a lot of fun and everything's really really chill. So that that's Patreon.com/slash Exploding Heads. People are saying that we're on a run, so I'll just go with them. I guess we are on a roll. Everything's uh, having a lot of fun. The show's. We've been having a lot of fun doing them, and apparently people have been having a lot of fun listening, so that's what it's all about. 
Well, I, I want to second that sentiment there because I feel like you guys, since episode 100, are doing some of your best work you've ever done. With the exception, obviously, of those huge shows that require massive amounts of prep and are obviously going to, you know, reflect you guys at your best. But as far as, you know, regular episodes go and whatnot, you guys are really are on a roll. You guys, it sounds like you're invigorated and rightfully so. It was a great move for you guys to do what you did. And we we talked about this, folks, a bit more before we hit record, but I really, really enjoy the way your community there is what it is. I think it was a good move to keep things fresh. And, you know, that's all we'll say about that. And I, I, man, I I second that motion that you guys are indeed doing your best work. And thanks, man, I, I love it. So Ooh, uh, yeah, glad to be glad to be aboard a, a, a again. It's great to hear the the Watson insult of the episode. I, I I'm always like, if it doesn't happen, I'm like, what the, what the hell, guys? Like, where, where, Christian, Brandon, where, where was it? You know, so <laughs> come on. Uh, but anyways, awesome. uh, yeah, folks, as for my specific plugs, check me out in the show I'm doing with Duncan McLeish of the podcast Under the Stairs. The show is Opera Omnia, where we're going over the works of Ben Wheatley, film by film, and I I'm going to bring to him. I might say, hey, Duncan. Hit Dave Z and me up in two years to do some Von Trier. Like, give us, you know, obviously he's going to do seasons of this, and it's a monthly show, so each season takes probably about close to a year. So, you know, a few years from now, hit us up, Duncan, because uh, he'll still be podcasting. That guy's going to die on a podcast, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> nice. So, yeah, to find that show, Opera Omnia, get on your podcatching app, type in TPUTS, and the Teaputs Collective, that stands for The Podcast Under The Stairs, the Teaputs Collective podcast feed will come up, which contains five episodes thus far of Opera Omnia. You can also find me as part of the ensemble cast that makes up the Whorecast, where it's all killer, no filler, stay scared. And concerning the Watsy Party Whore Show itself, check back with us and you'll see this episode and you'll see some happy hour. Oh man, I'm excited because we'll have a load of mini reviews ready for you as well as a listener feedback and engagement section like I've already mentioned that you'll want to get in on folks. If you want to know what the happy hour specific listener question is, then keep up with the Watsy Party Horror Show on social media. Facebook and Twitter are the places to find us and those links to those pages can be found in the show notes right at the bottom there. And speaking of show notes, we'll be sure to have links posted to any articles and studies we used for this episode. We cite our sources, folks. Lastly, hit us up by email if you want to be heard here on the podcast. The email address is watsypartyhorseshow at gmail.com. My friends, be sure to stay tuned after the outro music has played so that you can hear Dave and me in our spoiler-filled discussion of Antichrist 2009. Everyone, that concludes episode number 15. I'm the Watt, Dave's the Z. We thank you very much for attending our horror show, so please join the party and celebrate the genre with us. See you next time. Peace. It is now time for the What Z Party Horror Show After Party segment to commence. Okay, folks, if you're listening to this portion of the episode, that means you've either seen the film or else you don't mind that spoiler talk because that's what we got going on here. Consider yourself warned, my friends, because it begins right now. Dave Z, are there any talking points you'd like to bring up with spoilers on the table now that we are here in the after party? Okay, I kind of alluded to it earlier that my, you know, what I was remembering about the movie was just that the girl kind of went crazy on him. But upon watching it now, I I see him, what he's doing here, and being the fact that he is a psychiatrist, I also see some of the things that she's throwing at him. You know, she... This tragedy happens, 
and you know she ends up being in the hospital for a month and he comes in there and, and right away he says well I think that you know this kid's fresh out of school and he's a doctor and I think he has you on too many meds and right away you could see that she's throwing like blame at him you could see some resentment there were in the beginning granted it's just a sex scene but the way it looks they look like a couple that's happy of course they're happy they're having sex I, yeah. I know what I'm I know that but what I'm saying is the way it's going on spontaneous sex in the middle of the day or, or whatever it just this looks like a happy couple to me just based on that little snippet there I, I don't see any type of I don't know I mean later on they have some sex too so it's hard to say but my, the way I look at it they seem like they're a couple in a good place and then this tragedy happens mm-hmm. and then I see right away she's throwing stuff at him oh you just want to show that you're smarter than everybody else uh, and again these are things that I, this is what I love about this movie that I can't even I can't even stay on one topic I'm trying to just say one thing about him <laughs> and I'm going all over the place now dude that's what my notes look like too I, I'm I like I have just a, a bullet point that's violence and then I realize that it ties into everything first off everything you've just said and then everything uh, things that don't even relate to violence but things that inform the violence it, this is a hard movie to keep on one topic without getting you know off on another tributary you know boy is it because I'm just trying to say one thing about him there's part of me that's watching it and I'm saying well you know what he he's just trying to do what he thinks is best as any good husband would yeah. If this was to happen in my family, and my, and my wife had a tragedy, you know, we had a tragedy, I should say, and I see that my wife's in a bad place, yes, I'm going to come in there with, if I have professional expertise, I'm going to say, I think it's too many meds, you know, and, and I'm a psychiatrist, so I want to talk to you about it, because why do I want to trust somebody else to, I know, I, I mean, everybody has a job as psychiatrist, but no one's going to know how to deal with that particular person more than your husband. So, sure, he's coming from a place of love. I don't think he's being arrogant with it. I think he's handling it the same way he would handle, you know, anybody off the streets that was to come in and say, well, this is what happened. I lost a child. I went to the doctor. He put me on this, this, and this. He might say the same thing. He might be contradictory. Say, well, I don't think medication is necessarily what you need. I think, you know, we need to work on this from, uh, you know, from the perspective of a psychiatrist trying to work on your brain. And I think that's trying to do, but she gives him shit. She... I get surprised that she flushes the meds and that's a good scene. I'm like, okay. She fires back at first and says, well, you're being arrogant. You're not, you're discrediting him. You're not a doctor. And I'm like, maybe she's harboring resentment because of what happened. Yeah. Which I see people, that's what I'm saying about the performances and about these being real people. People do that all the time. They fire things in the direction of their partner when a lot of times it's not warranted. They're just in the room and... Who else are you gonna give it to? You can you you can't give a shit <laughs> to to strangers and to coworkers and, and and to your your parents if they're not living with you just because the person you're gonna do it to you you're gonna do it to is your life partner because because you can because you can get away with it they're not gonna probably leave you over it and because it's an easy thing to do now do I would I do that do I do that I, I like to say no but I've seen this happen many times and I've had it done to me many times. Even with my wife, who I love. That's what I'm saying. It's true to life people. I see what she's doing here, and I see what she's doing here. And they're both to blame. And that's what it is. And then later on, there's the one scene. Okay, I want to highlight this. Okay. That, that conversation that she what, about the acorns, that to me is what put this movie over the top for me. As far as 
what meat on the bone, what she says. And the crazy thing is that he doesn't acknowledge it. And being a psychiatrist, an intelligent man, who this is his profession, I'm surprised that he blows it off because she's having this conversation about the oak trees and the acorns and it made her sad, all of the, all of the things that are, that are to die. And obviously, when she was there the first time with, with her son, just the two of them, hearing that and making her think, and now she heard a cry. You know, they go through that whole scene and, and she's looking around outside and her kid's not crying. But then later on she talks about it's the cry of all the things that are to die. So it's like she heard something while he was there. And like, how did she know he was going to die? Well, she didn't, but still, that is a rather, that's a deep thought about freaking, you know, everything that's going to die. And then she says, you know, nature is Satan's church and all that. And I'm just surprised that he missed the point. I'm not saying he has to buy into it and say, hey, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's something supernatural. It's Satan and all that. Because right away, he, just, he doesn't want to hear that. But I'm just surprised that he didn't take that thought about nature the outside nature, not human nature, which he gets into later. And he seems like he misses the point that she's trying to convey. That's when I see, that's the one time where I see it from her side. I'm like, okay. Yeah. He's, he's not trying to understand that. He he is trying to do good. He's trying, you shouldn't screw your counselor and this and that and everything else. And we can't have this and then jump right in the sack afterwards. And just, God, there, there's so much... This is a very tough thing to discuss this movie because there's there's so many things to get into, and oh yeah, I don't know what. Help me out, say something because I, okay, I'll keep yeah, going. I, I got you. I'm just I'm listening, <laughs> just wrapped with attention here. Okay, let's start. I want to play off something you just said. You talked about nature being Satan's church, and I want to talk about the title of the movie. I read that this was the very first thing Von Trier had written for the film, the title Antichrist. Now this was a year or so before the depressive episode he had that hospitalized him, which resulted in this script. So I guess there was supposed to be an entirely different movie called Antichrist, in which at the end, it's revealed that Satan created the world, not God. Unfortunately, this info was leaked early on, which pissed off Von Trier, so he was determined to rewrite the script, but then his hospitalization happened afterward, and this is what gave us the version he made in 2009 here, th that we saw. So if I had to make some sort of I guess, uneducated guess as to why he kept the title Antichrist for this film and this script. You know, I would say, you know, you talk about how she said or, how, you know, how they talked about nature being Satan's church. It has everything to do with Eden itself. The Garden of Eden in the Bible was a paradise from which humankind fell, and it's a place to which we can't ever return. This story is what happens when you attempt to return to that paradise, only it's not paradise anymore. God is gone, but maybe... Satan is here, took that place in some form or another. Now, I doubt that Eden is inhabited by the literal devil. Maybe it is. I mean, that, there's a very curious third act scene with a supernatural slant to it that I want to talk about later, Dave, so don't let me forget that. No, I won't forget it. It's in my notes. But when you consider how nature is often thought of as a peaceful and harmonious thing, and when you put that idealized notion of nature up against the fact that it's really a death machine out there, kill or be killed, then suddenly the relationship our characters have with Eden as a setting makes a whole lot of sense in a sort of vague satanic context. Chaos reigns, as the fox said. What do you think of that, Dave Z? Absolutely chaos reigns. Yes, and everything that, that you said that you just... When I said what I said about the Neon Demon, I didn't mean seeing it from a different perspective in the comparison. Mm -hmm. I meant it quite literally. Like, the way I saw the Neon Demon is the way I see Antichrist. And you talk about the 
which you're going to get into later with the supernatural yes. and this and that. I see this quite literally as that's what's happening here. This is this is witchcraft. Ooh. That's all there is to it. Okay, let's not get into that yet. Okay. I, I, I'm gonna. I want to get a couple small things out of the way because. Once I do, I can just I can just X those out, put them out of my mind, and then not have to have those take up my mental inventory. Because when I first saw this movie in 2009, it did not register to me the things that you're about to say. But because of our Neon Demon review, and because of your take on that movie, and how you won me over with that, I saw this movie very differently than I did before. And so I want to, well, we will talk on that. So let's, I want to quickly get one small thing out of the way. I want to talk about the random imagery we get in this movie. So, like I said in Showtime, Von Trier has said that there are scenes in this movie, strong images that he included for no express purpose other than the fact that they came to him and he went with it. Hmm. If you're trying to ascribe concrete interpretations to some of these surreal portions of the story, then you're likely to get lost in the weeds there. In that way, it's a canvas on which we can project our own meanings if we wish to do so. In this review, I have made a deliberate choice to stay away from that as much as I can, I'm electing to allow some of the dreamlike qualities of the film to simply be what they are, which is mood-enhancing set pieces that are meant to emphasize the nightmarish facets of the plot. Like, I don't... I'm at peace that I don't need to figure everything out. Like, what the definitive meaning is behind the three beggars, or why... Even though I have some stuff to say about them, or why all these arms are coming out from under and around that tree, or why all those faceless women in antiquated clothing are suddenly in the woods there in the final scene. I don't need to know what those things objectively mean in order to know how I feel about those scenes. That's what Von Trier is going for, and while I can't always hang with that when directors themselves don't fully comprehend the worlds they create, Something about this film gives me enough meat on the bone to feel comfortable with the fact that the things that are most important to understand are there for the taking, and the rest is beautiful window dressing. So does th that that is meant to amplify the mood he's going for. Does, does that make sense to you, Dave Z? Are you accepting of the idea that some of these scenes don't actually mean anything, and that's an okay thing? Or rather, they mean something to him, even though he can't quite express it? It's kind of weird, because when I watched it, like I'm saying... I was able to find meaning in everything that was going on. So when you when nice. you say that he says that, it, it sounds weird to me. Like if he's talking about the thing with the the, the what do you call it the deer that's birthing, and mm -hmm. then the the duck that fall or, or whatever that bird is that duckling that falls, and I don't know if it's they're trying to say it was his parent that ate it when it fell out or not. Either way, it's all about childbirth and parenting and loss of a child. I mean, it, it's all yeah. right there to see. And as far as the other stuff with the arms, yeah. at first I was like, okay, is it this or is it this? Okay, I won't get too deep into it with my my hypothesis and everything else, but <laughs> if he's saying that it, that it meant nothing, that's fine. I just... Not those scenes specifically, Dave. Those are just scenes right. I thought were weird and don't know what I think they mean. And I do know that he imbued this film with certain scenes, and he won't say which ones, that right. were just nightmarish images that he felt played into the atmosphere, so he just threw them on screen. But I, I don't think that's meaningless, by the way. I think it means everything. But it's just, yeah, so I, I do want to I do want to say I don't know about specific scenes which ones. So I just wanted to throw that out there because I, I conveyed that wrong. No, that's fine. I'm just trying to figure out what scenes he's talking about because aside yeah. from that, and they can be taken different ways, but I'm just thinking of this, you know, what I remember seeing and looking at my notes, and I'm like, I don't know what I necessarily don't understand. You know, okay. I, I, again, you could take what you said with the arms and the stuff with sure. the things at the end. You could take that a different way. I had my own interpretation, which is fine. 
I figured maybe if I watch it, I'll get a better. Maybe he has his own, but it's not so outlandish. It's not as if you're watching this movie and then all of a sudden, I don't know, a skeleton drops drops from a tree and starts dancing around and grabs a <laughs> basketball and slam dunks it in, in, into a freaking a hockey mask or so. I don't know. I just it's, it's, I want to see that movie, Dave Z. Right? <laughs> I mean, that would be something that would make I, I couldn't draw a conclusion to. It came out of nowhere. But the stuff that I'm seeing here doesn't seem that far off as to way the the way I think he you know given the title and given what we're seeing on the film and what we learn the interpretation it seems like it all makes sense to me it doesn't seem that far out and I agree because I believe that even though he didn't place specific or outward interpretations to certain images or you know I do believe they play into the overall meaning of the film so I don't think there is a single even if it is a random scene from his dreams or from his brain that he threw in there for what he says is no reason. I think that they, I would say they all have meaning within the scheme of the atmosphere and the plot uh, to, to invoke certain emotions and to create a certain atmosphere. I don't think he ever betrays that. However, randomly he thinks he might have thrown things in. So, okay, let's, let's dive into what I think you want to get into. And it involves what I believe and what I don't hear a lot of discussion about this when I read about this film, and I have a feeling you're going to blow some minds here, or at least give us a perspective that you don't often see with this, you know, 11-year-old film. And it involves what is, I would say, I confidently say, a supernatural slant to the story arc there in the third act. So, like we've been saying, Von Trier himself has said that some of the imagery in the film is there for no real reason, and that accounts for much of the surrealism we get throughout, which brings me to the three beggars. I want to talk about them, Dave Z. While discussing her studies of various violent witch trials, Charlotte Gainsbourg, uh, she, uh, there's no, there are no names here, folks, talks about the three beggars who we see here and there throughout the film. The fox represents pain, the crow is despair, and the deer is grief. Now, nobody has a definite answer as to what the exact, and I have just exact in all caps, the exact role these three forces play in the third act. We know that our characters have experienced pain, despair, and grief, but why a fox, why a crow, why a deer, and what do they mean in the scheme of the script? Well, when asked about this, Von Trier says that he doesn't know. For him, they're strong images that came to him, and he doesn't feel up to the task of trying to figure them out any further than that. He's even quoted as saying, it's a bit like asking the chicken about the chicken soup. So, <laughs> one article I read years ago states this, and I'm going to read this to you, Dave Z. It says, The beggars, like everything in the film, may be symbols, but they're symbols of things deep within the psyche of a man who is not analyzing them, merely reporting them, and sharing them in his art. So with that said, folks, we have a scene in the third act where the woman says that when the three beggars arrive, someone must die. She, of course, is planning to kill her husband, Willem Dafoe, in the cabin. Now, this right here is where the film's elements that have been wholly grounded in reality meet headfirst with the aspects of the story that are dreamlike and surreal because some strange things suddenly begin to occur. And I, I, I when I watched this, I was like, ooh, I think Dave's going to have something to say about this. And I, I, I knew I was right. So not only, folks, do the three beggars actually physically show up to the cabin, their arrival incites a hailstorm. Now, earlier, the woman had said that women accused of witchcraft had been known to have the power to summon hailstorms. So, even if we're not meant to know precisely what the three beggars are in full, I believe their presence in the raging hailstorm are showing us how she is embracing something. And this is what I want to talk to you, Dave. What do you think she's embracing here? Is she embracing her own evil? Is she embracing the idea that she is the witch? 
who summoned the storm and will now commit murder because I do believe there are otherworldly forces here and that this is an, a holy supernatural scene. What do you think, Dave Z? I want, I, I, I want to talk with you about this. What do you make of this third act or this part of the third act? It's really weird because I don't know if I'm just making it too simple, but it, it seemed very simple. I, I don't know if I'm not digging deep enough, but I don't, I don't think it's like I feel it doesn't need to be dug deep. You see that he finds the book. You know that the girl went there by herself to do some type of thing. I forgot what it was, a thesis, whatever the hell it was. Yep, writing her thesis. Okay, yep. Some type of work. So he comes upon the stuff that she was writing and it had to do with witchcraft. Real simple. It's like it's like the Book of the Dead for Evil Dead. You open the book, evil's afoot now. So she goes in there, she's re she's researching about, about witchcraft and what's going on here. And I love these type of stories. I've said this many times where Evil is afoot, and we don't know why. It's just a simple thing. Evil resides in this area. I don't need the explanation. There's just bad things here. Do I have my own? Yes, because of the way things progress, and the bodies, mm -hmm. and the things that happen at the end, and the discussion about witchcraft. Because he sees what's going on. He sees this book. She, she researched heavily into this witchcraft, and then they have the discussion later. And he says, well, she was basically saying that you know, women were persecuted and this happened and that. And they get into this discussion. He goes, yeah, you know how many were hung? I don't have to tell you. They were accused of being witches. But he goes, but now you're telling me that you see women as inherently evil or something like that. And what I'm thinking is it's witchcraft. She's speaking of witches, not all females. She's talking about, you know, these are the ones that are evil, the, these witches. And the reason... That's her interpretation is because this is the area, this is just my take on it. This is the area where these, these witches were murdered in the 1600s or whenever in, in this forest. That's why you see them come back at the end and that's why you see those bodies. At first okay. I thought maybe it's the men. Maybe the wow. witches lured them here and they all killed a man and that's why you're seeing the, these bodies. Because you can't tell if they're male or female. You just see the arms and the bodies. But yep. at the end I think it's quite evident that because the kill is made... Granted, he made his own spin on witchcraft. He came up with his own thing, the three beggars. But big deal. I mean, people do it all the time in, in, in movies. So, oh, yeah. This is his interpretation on witchcraft. The, these innocent people were killed. They, they were hung. Or maybe not so innocent, but whatever. These witches were hung. And this is their retribution. Mm -hmm. And it can only happen when the three beggars arrive. And this girl, who's obviously already possessed by it, because she went there the first time, and they possessed her to do things that she didn't realize. She heard the cry, this and that. She put the kid's shoes on freaking backwards or, or on the wrong foot and, and, and it caused damage. And I don't think she was doing it on purpose. So I think these witches touched her. Obviously, you saw that she, the last couple pages she was writing, it, it, was all, it was all crazy. So something touched her while she was there. She went back and then she has these doubts where she flashes back to herself having sex and then she looks over and sees the kid mm -hmm. climbing on the thing. So... Are they trying to say that she knew it was happening? Because that, I don't know how evil that would make her because she grieved over it or maybe that was part of a sacrifice. Who knows? I don't know if that's what they were saying in that scene. That's why it's a 9.5 and not a 10. Oh, wow. That's what I'm trying to say. I did a couple of things to me where if it would have been clear, it could have been a 10 for me, but that's why it's not. Oh, wow. But my interpretation is that she went there. She got touched in this area. There's evil afoot in this area. It's witchcraft. And she, she got headfirst into it. And then... It stayed with her because you see the first time she bites him, they're not they're not at Eden yet. She's there. She's she's with him. Yeah. They're fooling around. She bites him and she apologizes, but she's afraid of going to Eden because she knows something's there. Something touched me. I don't know what it is. 
she doesn't come out and say it, but then she gets there and all this stuff happens. To me, it's just quite simple. And then the three beggars arrive and she knows what it means because she's part of that coven, so to speak. She inherited it. And she's like, okay, well, when this stuff happens, when, when the three beggars arrive, someone has to die. Well, someone did die. And and they... Yeah, okay. someone did die. Right. Maybe that was their plot all along. They don't care who it is. That's how they're able to, to resurrect, so to speak. That's why they come out at the end. Because, okay, what, what was prophesied happened. They needed somebody to come there. Maybe no one's been in that area in a while that was susceptible to it. And she was there, and it touched her somehow. Maybe she has witchcraft in her blood, or she, she's evil herself, or she's attracted to evil for whatever reason. Or maybe maybe she has a descendant that was a witch. Who knows? Either way, to me, it was quite simple. So, I don't know. Wow. Dave Z, I have never read a single review in all my years of being fascinated with this film of anybody saying anything like that. That is a Dave Z original right there, folks. And you know what? I, I will say, I had never considered that. I am going to be mulling that over because I'll tell you what, the idea of you have this place Eden that is no longer the paradise it once was, that it's a fallen place, it's Satan's cathedral now, and I don't see why you can't have a narrative where you have not just symbolic evil, but also something very physical there as well. Even though it stays kind of at the periphery, through most of it till the very end when we do see some blatantly supernatural things happening that you know might go oh wow this is okay so something truly wicked is happening here and it's not just symbolic now it has i mean of course everything is symbolic it's a movie uh, but it's literal in the world of the movie now and that is very interesting i had not read that like that and i wonder I, i'm gonna be mulling this over dave z like because i i really like that and i was hoping i, I was hoping that you weren't going to say no nah, i don't think there was anything supernatural there but you went one ahead and not only said, hey, I think there's something supernatural. You explained yourself really well as to what it is that's supernatural. And so I, you've, you've blown my mind a bit, buddy. I, I, gotta, I just got to say that. So wow. let's go over some of the things about our characters here. This is like my last, it's kind of my big piece on the film, the stuff I couldn't say in Showtime. And as I say this stuff, as I kind of go over my thoughts here, I want to see how it plays into your take on that third act and on the characters, okay? So... I want to talk, I want to start with the violence, Dave Z. So I know you're a gorehound, as am I, but because this film is grounded in reality to a large extent, and because the horror is placed within the framework of a drama story, the things that happen in that final half hour hit harder than most films would. Would you say that's the case, Dave Z? Absolutely. Yes, I would. Yeah, cool. And so what's curious to me is that the most impactful violence is uniquely tied to sexuality. That is to say that the body horror cruelty that takes place is focused on the sex organs of both our characters. We we tend to keep this show at something of a PG-13 rating regarding our language, so I'll be as tasteful as I can be when I say that what Charlotte Gainsbourg's character does to Willem Dafoe will make any and every male squirm, particularly what she does to him while he's unconscious. There's a, uh, <laughs> a bloody eruption oh. of sexual pyrotechnics, if you will, and, uh... That firmly places this movie in extreme film territory in my estimation, but it's what Charlotte Gainsbourg does next with a pair of scissors that cemented Antichrist as a film that's every bit as disturbing as anything that might have come out of France in that decade. And once again, to keep from being too vulgar in our descriptions here, I'll keep it kind, uh, well, and it, well, as kind as it can be, which is basically Charlotte Gainsbourg's character grabs a pair of scissors and snips off her clitoris. The camera is unflinching here just as it was with the brutality committed against Defoe's own nether regions. Now, it simply must be stated 
that this is not, and I repeat, this is not violence for the sake of violence, as you might read in lesser reviews. And yeah, I'm saying lesser reviews. I'm drawing lines in the sand. I don't put this many, we don't put this many hours into the preparation and production of the show to be humble. <laughs> I don't have time to be anything but the best at this, Dave Z, but no, I'm, I'm messing around. So <laughs> to, to be clear, the sexual violence here is not random. It's not for shock value. It's one of the most valuable insights into Charlotte Gainsbourg's character that the story provides for us. She's on a journey, folks, that revolves around her own relationship with sexuality. We, as the viewers, are right there with Willem Dafoe's character as he seeks to find a solution for his wife's abnormal grief over the loss of their son. But there's more going on here than meets the eye. Like, things aren't what they appear to be on the surface, as we've talked about previously in, with that third act of that last half hour. That agony and bereavement that she feels, that pervasive sorrow, that's our focus. And at first, it appears as though we're meant to extrapolate some type of gender commentary here like we talked about before and like a lot of reviewers tend to hang their hats on and this is hey look at this man who isn't in touch with his emotions trying to cure this woman's girly hysteria that right there is exactly how men want to control women by not allowing them to feel but that reading of the film could not be more off base i'm going to tell you precisely why first off we see defoe wrecked over the loss of his boy in that funeral mm. procession scene there's no getting around that you have to ignore that to have that reading of the film. Now, is there, this is a valid question, is there some degree of academic hubris within his character that makes him want to be the one to cure her? Maybe. But, Dave Z, I like what you said, that it could also just be a means to bring them closer together on a deeper level, but I think that's less important than understanding why Charlotte Gainsbourg's character is mourning the way she is, why it's lasting so long and having this effect on her. Like I said, things aren't exactly what they appear to be. Now, Dave Z, you, you said some things that are very interesting in the scheme of my own interpretation. So I'm going to kind of spell out what I think is going on. And I don't feel that our interpretations have to be mutually exclusive. I don't think one has to be right and wrong because I want to see how yours works with mine. So in the third act, the film reveals to us that Charlotte Gainsbourg's character was physically abusing their son. She would purposely put his shoes on the wrong feet, which resulted in a foot deformity. And furthermore, we come to find that while she and her husband were having sex in the first scene of the film, we get a little retconning, we get a little more to the picture in the third act. We find that she watched as her son went to that open window. She watched while he approached it and fell out, and she deliberately did nothing to stop it from happening. Now this right here, folks, is why her grief and despair is the way it is and why it's directly tied to her relationship with sex. Children are born from the act of sexual coupling, and there's a blatant irony here in that the two of them were engaged in sex as their son fell to his death. Look at how sex is portrayed in this movie all throughout. It's not erotic or titillating. It's cold, stark, and rough, except for that scene in the beginning. And this is exactly what informs the sexual violence at the end of the film. It's her punishing herself. His bloody ejaculation, her vaginal violence. It's symbolic of her view that sex isn't life-affirming, it's death. To gain a more acute understanding of her mindset and what leads her to the film's bloody finale, we've got to turn our focus to what she was doing up at this cabin the previous summer. Now, Dave Z, this is where your interpretation starts to blend with mine, because I don't- we don't have all the pieces. Maybe you have some of the missing pieces, so it's stated in the film that she and her son had gone up to this cabin the year before so that she could work on her thesis on the topic of genocide. Not genocide, but genocide, which is the intentional killing of females strictly because they're female. However, we discover later on that while she was researching this topic, she came to believe that women are inherently evil. Now this right here is a stumbling block for a lot of people who've reviewed this film, and this is why some people interpret it as being sexist or prejudiced against women. But here's what we need to make clear right here and now. 
Willem Dafoe's character is disgusted by her admission that she believes women to be intrinsically evil and even chastises her by, you know, saying, look, why are you buying into the anti-woman beliefs that you were originally setting out to criticize? What's going on here? What he doesn't realize, though, is that she has very likely arrived at this misogynist way of thinking because, I mean, maybe Dave Z because there's some sort of outward influence or if it's internal, it's because she's slowly, and maybe it's both, because she's slowly confronting the reality that she was in fact abusing their son in secret and that she's also responsible to some degree through inaction for their son's death. So when you realize that her protracted anguish isn't just over his loss, but also in response to her confronting the idea that she hates herself for what she is, an abuser, a person who would allow their son to die, well, then it's no wonder that her own self-loathing has brought her to this place where she can't stand who and what she is as a person, as a woman, and as a sexual being. That's why the sexual violence and her views on women make perfect sense in the scheme of the script. So, Dave Z, are you able to make any sense of that as it pertains to your interpretation? Am I making a solid case that this isn't a misogynistic movie? That it's all about her journey through grief and guilt and not some mouthpiece for Von Trier to tell us why women are bad? Does that make sense? And does that make sense in the scheme of your, your witchy narrative? Because I like what I heard from your side and I want to know if you think anything from what I'm saying is taking away from that. No, they tie in because I, I agree that it's not a misogynistic thing here, right? Because it's yeah. for the reason you said. She was going there for one reason, and she came upon some other stuff, and she was like, well, okay, maybe maybe real after all. And he was saying, no, why would you fall for that? You, it, that's the opposite of what you came here to do. Yes. And remember, she said, there's that line earlier when she where she tells him that he was always distant from them. And he says, well, wait a minute. You, you told me you wanted to be left alone, we were going to go do this thing that you and him were going to, you're going to be separate. I'm going to be here and you're going there to do that. So it's almost like she went there to, and did that. And I think the whole thing about women being evil that she got in her head is kind of mm -hmm. like Satan playing with her head. It's just like when you, when you think you have nowhere else to go, then you're going to go to who's going to show you any type of, you know what you're looking for. I mean, it, it's how oh, people sure. are broken down victims. You know what I mean? When, when you think that your self-worth is nothing, Who's going to yeah. be there to help you? Well, if she's being manipulated by by witchcraft or by Satan himself or whatever it is, evil itself, then you're going to feel no worth. And he's going to say, well, yes, women are evil, but guess what? We're all evil together. We're here. You know what I mean? So, so join us, so to speak. Dave Z, I love it because that plays into the idea that whether symbolic or directly real in the world of the film, that this Eden is a fallen place. It's not paradise for them anymore after this loss. And it is very interesting that we often say fall from grace and the thing that put them where they are is the, their son's literal fall. I, th I find that very ah. interesting. And also, check this out. Just the whole idea that, okay, this even works if there's absolutely zero supernatural in this film as well. And I love that when the supernatural can complement the psychological facets of a film. For instance, let's say you take out anything supernatural from this film. We still have this character who's on this journey confronting her own evils. Now, whether those evils are very human and internal because she's an abuser and because she was maybe glad her son died or and finds herself evil and therefore is making that big leap like some people do, that we're all evil. Or whether something touched her out there, something evil, something truly evil, 
and influenced her. And that's why, you know, it, it, we have this, you know, these faceless women out there. You know, who, who, who even knows about, you know, about that? But whether it's internal or external, this evil, it makes sense that we have this character going through this journey and confronting herself in a very hardcore way. And that sex is at the center of it, which is why the sexual violence is at the forefront. Yeah. Now, there is some other violence in this film, but, uh, you know, that is very, you know, crazy. Like when she, you know, puts that bolt through his leg and is drilling. Oh, mm. that's crazy. And he just strangles her to death with strangulation, they say, is, and I believe, is the most intimate way to kill somebody. It's easy to hit a button and somebody a country away dies on a drone strike or whatever. It might be slightly easier, you know, to snipe somebody from a mile away or sure. kill somebody with a gun from a few yards away or stab somebody with a knife, but you get your hands in there, that's the most intimate, truest form of taking another life, and that's what he does to her. And it's very interesting how physical they are, and that's sort of the end of their physicality right there. Like you said, the three beggars arrive, and somebody dies. And so, but but I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that if you take out the supernatural, it still works with this character confronting themselves and their evil, and if you add that bit in, which confirms the horror aspects of this movie, I can't see that undermining the psychological powers and strengths of this movie. I just see it adding to it. What do you think about that? You you are with that? Yeah, I, I, but the thing is, there's a couple things. I will agree with you on the sex thing and, and what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that was a, a very astute observation about the sexual and the way it played out and, and, and what led after and, and the meaning of it. I, that didn't even occur to me. But I'm going to okay. disagree with you on one thing. I do not think she was an abuser. How about you don't, that? So you 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 would believe that when she went to Eden, she was touched by some external force, and that sparked the abuse. I think that the abuse was accidental. I think that her mind was somewhere else because they even show that one scene when they're putting the shoes on, and the kid is crying, and we know why he's crying because mm -hmm. when the shoes go on him, they hurt. But she doesn't look at him and, and get pissed off or slap him or say, "You're gonna wear these shoes." Nothing. She's just kind of like. Um, she doesn't have a mean look on her face. She just, she, it almost seems like it's just any other day. And she's just putting the shoes on the kid and she's cool as a cucumber. So I think when she's putting the shoes on, it's not intentional. So you don't think that that could be just how callous and casual she might be about the abuse? That she doesn't even need to think twice about it? That it could just be, yep, you're just wearing these. I don't think she's doing that on purpose. I think A, hmm. it's a mistake. Okay. Either A, it's a mistake and, and she just... Some people have that in their brain. Well, it's like a, you know, not, not a learning disability, but it's something where they're right and the left and doing it to somebody else. They, they have a little trouble differentiating. Maybe it's, it's just something simple like that. Or maybe it is evil itself getting into okay. her brain, either A, distracting her or B, making her do it without her knowledge. And then I'll go one step further just in case. Just I'm not saying this is a, an interpretation or not. I'm just saying it's it's a possibility okay. that when she is back at home, pardon me, when she is in the cabin and everything's going where she is, and they have that shot of her looking over and seeing the baby slip and her her awareness yeah. of it, I don't know for certain that that is actually what happened or if that's what is being put in her head to steer her towards evil. As if Satan himself is saying, oh, look, this is actually what happened, but it, it, it's BS. You know what I mean? Interesting. Okay, going back to the abuse, I could buy that maybe it's absent-minded once, but it was enough to cause a foot deformity. What do you think about that? It was the whole time they were on that trip. 
Because obviously, yeah. look how quick he caught it. If he was to be at home with them when they're living at home and the shoes were on a different way, he would notice from jump. He noticed in a picture. I, I can tell you what. When I saw that picture, it didn't stick out to me at all. So, but if No, he, it didn't stick out to me either. Okay, so if he's that observant that he's going to see it in a picture, he would see it at home. So they're only at this cabin for a short time over a, a, a period of the summer prior. Then that's yeah. when it took place. Yeah, I wouldn't say it was happening at home, Dave Z. I was saying it was just happening there at the cabin. Right. But it's enough times to put shoes on to deform his feet, man. Yes. I, I can't believe that could be accidental. What if what I'm saying is, what if every time it's accidental? She just has okay. an issue with... She's touched by this thing that's out there, this, this this evil in this fallen Eden, and it's influencing her. Well, I, I like that. I want to believe that whether she's an abuser of her own volition or whether she was influenced to it, I kind of need that scene where she looks over and doesn't act and doesn't save the kid. I, I want that scene to be on purpose, or, or at least I want it to be real, whether she's influenced or whether it was something from, you know, I, as an abuser, like, oh, let the kid fall, or because I'm just going to have sex and that's that's what it is, or that she's being influenced because I that I need this character to be on this journey of self-discovery of her own evil, whether that evil comes from within or from outside of her. I do want to believe that wasn't a, ret or a dream sequence or something outside tricking her. I want that to be something that she did, whether she's culpable or not. I want to see, see what I'm it. saying. Yes, I do. I want to see that, that scene again because... Mm -hmm. I'm not entirely sure it's plausible by the layout of that house that where that window is and where they are freaking having sex that that would even be she could actually see that. Oh, I thought the window was right next to the bed, like just across the room. Were they in the bed? They were in the shower. Then yeah. They were in the laundry. The shower, room. then the bed. The bed is where they were when he fell. And then while he's on, while he's where they're rocking some missionary, she's on, you know, down there and looks over at the window and sees what she sees and then just continues to go about what she's doing and so whether or not her looking now that is something i do want to see that again because that could just be an error but i would like to believe for the, her journey of self-discovery to have the impact that i believe it has whether she's being influenced by something outside of herself you know over you know it's kind of stretching out its tendrils of power from eden or it's you know having put its mark on her from her summer there before I would like to believe that she sees this happen and lets it happen so that way she can come to face that, which is what makes the third act have so much punch when she, you know, embraces her evil and just says, this is the way this is, and now the ritual is complete and you're going to die, but then she's the one who dies, the three beggars are here. I just it, it makes that journey of discovery that she's into through sex and death and abuse and evil have a real weight to it, whether or not it's oh, she's just an abuser or the devil was making her do it. I like both. Yeah, I just wish that, honestly, I wish that scene wasn't shown. Uh, I think oh, having that no, just confused really? me I'm watching it. I have an interpretation and everything makes sense. And then they show that. I'm like, why'd you go and do that? Now, 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 oh, see, now I have to guess. That's, that's funny because it's funny that that scene kind of is like a little wrench in your interpretation. Whereas for me, as I'm watching this, that was the catalyst and the thing that sort of made my ingredients just take off and make it all kind of coalesce, that was the scene that made that happen for me. It was the opposite of a wrench for me. <laughs> well, let me look. Okay, listen. Um, You're trying to tell me that all three of them are in the same room there when that happens? I thought they were... The, the reason it happened is because they were in a different room. They moved around with their lovemaking, right. and I think that they were so into it 
that we see him climbing out of his crib and he goes to this window. Now, I do want to see that again and see, was this window in his room? Was it in their room? Is it how big is the room? Is it across the hall? I would like to see what she can see, but I do know from reading you know, about the movie is that whether or not this is a continuity error, we are meant to believe that she does see it happen. Now, is this a mistake in that, oh, maybe she shouldn't, she shouldn't have been able to see, or if we watch it again and suddenly we're like, yeah, it's clear as day. I didn't have a problem with it, Dave. That said, the intention is that we are meant to believe she saw. It's kind of meant to be a reveal, like, oh, you knew and you didn't do anything. So that's where, that's why I said, oh, so your journey through grief and guilt this protracted anguish you've been having, this prolonged mourning, I get it now. It's not just about the kid, it's about you. It's all about you, isn't it? Now, whether or not that's a means to an end for some higher evil power, that adds to it to me. But either way, the core of it for me is she has to confront some things about herself, and if really she is confronting this idea, holy shit, I abused my kid and I let him fall, I like that confrontation that she has to have with herself. But I do want to see that scene again and see if she can see it because that will you know i i like the idea that she did what if she didn't what if what if my theory is right and and the devil himself is tricking her at that moment well i don't see that her seeing it disproves your theory i think that she, it could just be those remnants of evil from the summer before having touched her and this kind of new relationship she has with her kid you know she's has been abusing him maybe absentmindedly maybe mal uh, malevolently through this you know this influence that's there at Eden and maybe maybe that's why she wasn't doing it there at home or maybe she was and he was just so aloof that he didn't realize it that would put a very interesting spin on his character but I don't see but gosh that really would huh I hadn't thought of that yeah maybe, you know when she says that you're distant but in any case I don't see that taking away from your interpretation I feel like it cements your interpretation that it's yet another thing that makes her have to confront the evil that was influence influencing her yeah yeah, I let him fall. And now she goes back to Eden to confront those devils, which maybe didn't have the same power they did out away from there. Or maybe they did, you know? It'd be very interesting to know, you know, what Von Trier wanted to say with her abusing the kid. Like, was it whether or not it was, you know, through Eden and the evils there, or whether she has her own evils that resonate with the evil already at Eden. I don't know what the film wants us to think there, and I don't think Von Trier has any answers for us, which is kind of why we're sort of talking as we are with this conversation, but I really like the idea that whether or not it was her or the devil, or some some sort of devil, Eden, we'll just say, her seeing him fall and not acting confirms that she has this evil inside of her that is adding to her anguish. I love it. Yeah, I guess it makes sense, and that's why she wants to go back. Well, she doesn't want to go back, but... She's drawn because she's afraid of it and he makes her go, but I mean, maybe she was touched and either way it works. It works as if she has guilt just because or she's touched by evil. Either way that works. But what about that thing? The constellation. He says there's no such constellation. They were talking about the, the three beggars. Oh yeah. Right? So does yeah. maybe the constellation only appear when the three beggars actually arrive, which if that's the case, then it leads to 100% this is supernatural. Or are you on the other side Everything here is BS, and here's the proof. There is no such constellation. There's a couple ways you can look at that, I guess. Oh, wow. I, I had not thought of that, and I do actually have a picture on my phone of that constellation with the three beggars on it, and I like the idea because, I, I listen, you know me. I like my supernatural to be in the plot. Right. You know me that yeah. I'll always choose the supernatural angle over the purely, you know, over the it's all in their heads, yeah. but 
I believed in both. I believed the way I was interpreting this film, it was more psychological with this big hint of the supernatural that plays into the psychological. I didn't take it as supernaturally as you did, and I like where you are on that. And so to me, I feel like they hold hands rather well. I don't need to know if it's her own internal evil or if it's an external evil to, to know that she's on this journey. Either way, she's on the same journey. And I love that. But you're, when you're talking about this constellation, it could be something mystical. It could be something esoteric and something that he can't know about because he's not in that club. That as, you know, when she's embracing the evil and as the hailstorm happens and the three beggars show up, hell, maybe if you were to look in the sky, that could be the only time you would ever see that constellation. I kind of see it weird and strange like that because I know that Von Trier lives in that world of the weird and the strange being able to complement the real world like that. So True. I like it. But how about this? Yeah. He's the only one that sees anything supernatural. So it has to be. It has to be supernatural. He's the, he's the one that sees the, the three beggars. He's the one that sees the deer the first oh. time. He's the one that sees the fox that talks to him. And then he goes in the cave. Oh, yeah. And he's freaking whacking at the bird. And then later on, he has to smash the floorboards to pull the bird out. And then all three of them get together and looking at him. So he's the only one that sees anything supernatural. Now, we're not to believe that there's anything with him involving... You know what I mean? That he's mental or yeah, that he yeah. is involved with anything spiritual. Quite the opposite. He's against it. He He's a man of science and doesn't <laughs> believe in any of it. And we're seeing that he is seeing it. So to me, oh, it's I rather it. obvious that this is supernatural just because of that. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, that's what I don't get. How am I watching this movie and seeing what I, uh, unless I'm just, see, I don't know. It, it seems obvious to me. How come nobody else has that take? That's what I'm confused about. Maybe because it's Von Trier and people are maybe inclined and myself included to... Now listen, like I said, I did think this had a supernatural bent to it. And I did know that, the, okay, those those last ten, five to ten minutes of the movie are flat out supernatural. What you're talking about is bringing the supernatural more into the realm of reality. And like I said, I believe this, this, this film is an interesting dance of man, woman, supernatural, natural this that it's this waltz that goes in and out of objective reality and finally at that ending scene they clash and it's this explosion of we have this hailstorm the three beggars are here and someone must die and eden is evil and the evil is here that's how i take it i, I take it as a, sort of a, a, maybe like an accidental ritual you know everything leading up to maybe accidental is the wrong word but i mean it's very interesting to me though that he reaches through the floorboards and pulls out the crow which is despair he has to dig in to find it. Yeah. And I don't know, I find that very interesting. I, I noticed that the second, you know, the second time around, it was like, wow, okay, there's there's something there. And I know Von Trier does these things on purpose because he's a genius. But dude, nothing, like I, I love the idea of a more overt supernatural movie. That only makes me like this movie more. Uh, I don't know if, I, if I'm ready to go for a 10 yet. I think I need more than two views to go there. And I definitely need one more watch with your spin on it. But I love your take that, these things complement the supernatural or the, the the psychological because this is a very psychological movie with the way everything is tied to sex and death and how do you make a kid well you have sex but as we're having sex the kid falls out of the window the same way we fell from grace and eden's not eden anymore and it's evil and the evil's touching her because for whatever reason you know i i, I man buddy i i didn't expect this after party to be so ripe <laughs> with just content but my goodness, folks, I, I I don't know. Put down whatever your favorite podcast is, unless it's, you know, like Exploding Heads or something we're, we're doing. 
but trade up to the party here. This is what you're getting. <laughs> right on, right on. Dude, wow. I just realized something. It's true. Tell it. If you were to watch this movie, strictly using, and this is what's weird, strictly using her narrative and what she says and what she does, there is nothing at all to suggest anything supernatural. Everything supernatural comes from his end of it. He finds the book that she was writing in. Yeah. He has the conversation with her. She just talks about, I mean, she says nothing. She says something about nature being Satan's, uh, whatever the hell, what was the term? Na- nature Cathedral, I think, or church. Satan's church. I mean, she's, yeah. she says that, but anything supernatural, I don't recall her having any type of dialogue with it directly or indirectly. It, it, it all comes from his end, and he, it, like I said, he's a man of science. He He's the one that's just proving it. And when she even mentions the word Satan, he's like, oh, Jesus Christ. And you know what I mean? He's just <laughs> yeah. like, I don't, I don't, we're going to go down this road now. You know what I mean? So that's so, uh, pardon me, I take it back. The one thing that did happen was when she heard the crying when she was there with the kid. So okay, all right. Something did happen to her, so I take it back. But still. Actually, honestly, that makes that makes it better because now they're both being touched by something supernatural. It isn't just on his end. Because otherwise, then you can go on the other side and say, oh, well, guess what? He was crazy the whole time. Yes, yeah, he's going crazy too. Nope, I would. No, I, I draw a line in the sand. Nope. <laughs> yeah, see? <laughs> oh, man. Dude, well, so, folks, I, I, Dave Z, I, I don't know if I have anything more to say, but I have a lot to think about, and this absolutely requires a third view pr- probably soon. God, I wish I could... Well, I was about to say I wish I could watch this with my son, but uh, nope. Uh, nah. <laughs> I just like talking to him about movies. <laughs> but yeah, like th- this is this has been an incredible journey of a review because you've blown my mind yet again. And I, I hope I, 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 with the supernatural and I don't feel anything you've said undermines my need to see this character go on this journey. Now, my original interpretation was more psychological, but it ends up supernatural. So when you, you when you're kind of trying when you're asserting. Well, maybe there's more supernatural than you realize. Look, supernatural is my favorite business, so I'm gonna go. Okay, <laughs> right <laughs> I'm gonna on. be in. Yeah. So uh, I love it. And I hope I said something in all my talking that you know resonated with you and made you go. Okay, here's that. I hope that happened at some point here. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, it, it it makes sense, and at least you're open to it, mm-hmm. to what I had to say. Some people, they just want to go in and they want to see this yeah. is not supernatural at all, and everything everything you say. I'm going to have a rebuttal to, to disprove you, you know? But yeah, you don't yeah. do that. You're, you're open to it. No, I love the discussion. And also, bear in mind that the French word for orgasm is petit mort, which is little death. So, oh, I don't know, like the relationship between sex and death is, is so big here and evil and confronting things that are within us and possibly outside of us. That's one of my favorite narratives of all. That's why I loved Hereditary so much is because there were inside forces. There were outside forces, and when they came together, chaos reigns. Chaos hey, reigns. Hey, hey. Nice. It'd be a good name for a band, I think. Oh, absolutely. I said something. I had a bullet point that I never touched on that I thought would make a name for a metal band, but I don't remember what that was. You just reminded me of it. But chaos reigns would absolutely be a great band or title of an album. So, Dave Z, is there anything else before we we kick everybody out of the after party? Because man, what a fruitful discussion this has been, and I. I I want to know what people think about this. So next happy hour, folks, tell us something or, or hit us up on the socials because I, I got to know. Right on. No, I'm, I think I'm exhausted from the conversation. It was a great one. <laughs> Me too. It's, it's a good exhausted. It's like after having sex or something, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, indeed. And so, well, yeah, that does it for us, folks. So Dave Z, will you do us the honor of guiding the party people toward the nearest exit? 
yeah, guys, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. We'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who knows what we're going to be bringing you next month. But you guys got to go. Get out. We got to clean up. And we're exhausted. So we love you, but, you know, don't let the door hit you in the ass. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>